0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode three of the Tasteless Podcast. This was the last episode we recorded before releasing the first episode uh, to the public. This episode, I'm interviewing Gerald from Core A Gaming. If you're unfamiliar with Core A Gaming, I would definitely check out their YouTube channel. I think this is some of the very best gaming content that's out there. It's really smart. Uh, My favorite video was the Consequences of Reducing the Skill Gap. Uh, Melty, what, what ones did you like? Um, Two of them that I
1: really liked were Why We Should Buff More Than We Should Nerf and The Effects of Salt. Both of those were excellent episodes.
0: So if you haven't um, seen these already, definitely check that out. Uh, If you have, you're definitely going to be excited that I'm interviewing him uh, here. Also, please support us on Patreon. We're getting an AMA set up. I think we have have 26 donors, right? 28. 28 donors. Um, And if we get to 100, I'll be doing an AMA. Um, Again, guys, thank you all of you so much for the support. It's really appreciated. Uh, and I guess without further ado, let's hop into episode three with Core A Gaming's Gerald. All right, dude. Welcome to the TASOS podcast, man. Thank you for coming down. Thanks for having me. So um, I think I'm generally identified as an RTS guy, but I actually grew up around fighting games. Um, you were the same age, right? You're 34?
1: I'm uh, 35 now. 35. So I was born in 83. So yeah, we're we're pretty similar. You're like when uh, you're younger than me.
0: So. Yeah. So... Um, then we were, you know, as kids around the same time when there were arcades. Did you grow up um, with fighting games in arcades or was it more of a at-home thing?
1: Uh, definitely, I, I grew up with uh, fighting games in the arcades and, and the big game, um, obviously, is Street Fighter II, right? So, uh, World Warrior, the original one where you couldn't select the boss characters and you couldn't even select the same character. So, I remember uh, growing up in the arcades, basically, uh, whenever I could find a cabinet, uh, they'd usually usually be at malls uh Pizza shops or liquor stores uh stuff like that, so um yeah, I just I picked guile and basically zoned everybody and that was like <laughs> that was like my my strategy
0: were were you nervous playing against well, hold on first of all, how old were you when when you first started actually trying to play in an arcade setting? you're saying street Fighter two
1: yeah street Fighter two so uh, street Fighter two uh that came out in like ninety one right so I think so uh so yeah, I was probably. Um, yeah, like I, I probably played it like right when it came out, like, so that, that mean I'd be like eight or something like that. Right. So eight or nine, I was, just, I was a kid in these arcades. Did your parents give you
0: quarters? How did that work?
1: Yeah. So basically uh, my, my mom would drop me off at the, uh, at the arcade, at the mall a lot because she would kind of need me to like try on some clothes and you know, make sure it fit and everything. And then when she was done with my stuff, like she just, you know, let me go to the arcade and give me a little bit of money to play. Yeah. And basically what happened was I I realized that uh you know with this game, if I won, I could keep on playing, right? And uh, you can you know, you you get to go to the next uh character and then if there's like other people playing, you could uh play those people and I was able to only spend uh, a few quarters uh and basically I'd give back my uh, give back money to my mom after Playing Street Fighter Two.
0: Oh damn, you're better than me. Then, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I always, I always uh, kept all the quarters. I'd always try to sneak back. I lived uh, across the street from a mall. Um, I wasn't allowed to play games until it was three p.m. in the afternoon. So I'd leave the house with my brother, and we'd steal quarters from the house or where we could find it, and then, and then play there and so you made with guile then in the arcade while your mom was, was shopping or doing whatever in the mall
1: yeah basically i mean at first of course i, I wasn't so great so you know i would use all my mom's money uh that she yeah. gave me but then slowly I it started because, it got to the point where i was able to just go with like uh 50 cents that's how much it cost it was uh, some arcades that were cool it was 25 cents right it was just one better quarter ones but, yeah but the knew street fighter 2 was hot at the time so you'd have to put two quarters in And, uh, so with just 50 cents, sometimes I'd just be able to like be at the mall the whole time with that amount of money. And there'd be like a lot of people around the cabinet, like, uh, playing against this kid. And, um, and so, yeah, I mean, this, this is something that's really great if you're like a a little kid, because how often do you get to like beat adults at anything, right? When you're a kid, it's like, it's such a great feeling. Like, oh, I'm making this guy mad, you know, like you know i you know i totally like outsmarted this guy and it makes you feel so powerful as a kid so i think it was one of the best experiences just in gaming at, at that time did you have any rivals or anything like that when you go to the arcades was there
0: any older guy that you had to watch out for
1: yeah so in um, in Arlington uh where i'm from there's uh, there's a, a puppet i used to go to and uh, this was later on uh, this is when i got a little bit older this was uh, when i think um second impact came out and there was like a little scene there right So I didn't know anything about like FGC stuff. You know, FGC is like, you know, you have like the legends and, you know, you have these West Coast, East Coast rivalries. And I didn't really know anything about that. But I did know about my local arcade at Putt-Putt. And basically, it was just a bunch of guys that came regularly. And they would be playing uh, whatever the, the new Capcom, you know, fighter was. And those guys were actually really good. And that's the first time I realized that like, wow, there are actually people that are good at this game. And, uh, and this, that's when like, people really schooled me. And uh, I think everybody has that moment where you, you realize that you're, you're not as good as you thought you were just because you beat <laughs> some people like, you know, mashing buttons at a mall. So um, that was kind of a, my first humbling moment. But, um, you know, I got better uh, with those guys. And uh, so it, it, was, um, it was fun to like play uh, people who were like pretty skilled. Did, did you have any other games you played in the arcade? Because I know
0: for me personally, I was, um, I, it was actually kind of rare to have this happen in the States, but I was introduced to a game called Beat Mania, um, which was kind of like the hardcore rhythm game um, with buttons and it had a little turntable. Um, and just like, I guess, for a lot of the North Americans and Europeans listening to this, I mean, it's like Guitar Hero, but maybe a little bit harder,
1: I would say. Yeah, I know Beat Mania. That, that game was pretty popular uh, back in the day.
0: Yeah, I think it was especially popular in in Japan and um, Hong Kong, a couple other places. But I got into that, and I would watch these guys play in Marvel vs. Capcom, too. Um, And eventually, I was a lot younger, but I remember eventually getting the courage to ask them to kind of show me how to play. Because, you know, especially for a lot of these fighting games, I think to learn in an arcade is so difficult.
1: Yes, it's very difficult because most, I mean, a lot of people in the, the arcades, they're not... They're not just going to be nice and be like, all right, let me just take you under my wing and show you. Sometimes you won't get any respect unless you're able to beat them or or give them some kind of challenge, right? So uh, this was was this was this during a time when knowledge was not widely available, right? You didn't have the internet or anything like that. So I remember people would be doing, um, you know, fatalities. And because the command was kind of you had to have like a magazine subscription or something to, to know some of these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Like they do the command and they hide their hands while doing it. <laughs> like a fatality so that you wouldn't see it you know or you wouldn't check not that I was checking or anything but I, I noticed like there were people doing that so there's kind of there's definitely like a kind of a gatekeeping exclusivity to uh to some of these people I'm sure you know there are people that were more welcoming and stuff like that actually th- there were when I went to that arcade at, in Arlington but um but yeah there there are a lot of people who just kind of like to keep that uh stuff secret because it makes them feel cool or whatever
0: yeah, I mean, not to sound too old in this podcast, but yeah, we're definitely from a different, a different generation. It was a different time back then, where you almost had to have access to a certain degree of, of community, or at least know the right people. You couldn't just Google something, um, even if you got access to a magazine. You had to, you had to have the right people to play with to even improve. And you know, one thing I've always found um, most interesting about you know the FGC in general is just that it's very connected people everything happens you know with people adjacent to each other they're communicating um you know i think starcraft is in some ways especially nowadays kind of the polar opposite where you know we play apart from each other um it, it, people kind of are, are caged off from even giving each other information or build orders where i think people are a lot more reliant in fgc um and it's a lot more i guess overall kind of community oriented
1: yeah definitely so the the community aspect of it is kind of uh, one of the reasons why, like you know being having a community is definitely uh, a way to you know improve and and get better because those people will be, will be able to pool their knowledge and and share techniques and you know show you things. So uh, you know there will be these communities kind of roaming around. And uh, if you were not part of that community, you know you wouldn't have access to that knowledge. And then when you played one of those people, they'd be doing these unblockables and they'd be doing all these things that you've never seen before. and uh, you know, you kind of want to learn how to do that, but it's like you kind of have to like, you know, get initiated. And, and so there's definitely uh, this kind of um, uh, this arcade culture to it. And I think it affects the way uh, fighting, uh, fighting gamers kind of see these kind of games, right? So some things are super cryptic in some of these fighting games, right? They're like really, like, uh, really difficult to kind of wrap your mind around. But a lot of these things were discovered because there were some glitches in the games. And, you know, these glitches turned out to be like, um, you know, uh, what you needed to know to be competitive. And so there's kind of this concept of uh, emergent gaming or emergent gameplay, right? Where uh, you have things that are going on where the developers didn't really intend. Uh, And it's kind of something some developers don't like it. But, uh, you know, the, the people who play it, you know, they kind of use these techniques and end up um, making the meta into, like, something that no one has ever seen before. And so, you know, um, a lot of these, uh, uh, you know, games will have uh, things like that where um, eventually it will become a a mainstream thing where later the developers were like, oh, let's put that in there on purpose. Of course, the most famous examples being, like, combos, right, and canceling and stuff like that. That's something that, like, kind of wasn't really intended, but... You know, due to like a, a side effect of like the input leniency algorithm, you have this kind of new technique, and uh, and you know the players have a lot of fun with it. And if the developers like, hey, cool, this is awesome, they put it in the next game and they kind of streamline it so it's like part of the game and less kind of less janky, right?
0: It seems like all the big competitive gaming titles were unintentionally built off the backs of, of bugs, or I guess some people would say they're features, right? But Um, You know, I mean, in StarCraft, even when they interview the developers, um, the original people that made the game, all those guys said they did not see the game or did not anticipate the game being played at that speed. Even even running away uh, with a unit that has range and then attacking and then running away. So microing or or kiting, nobody had thought of that ahead of time. It Mm -hmm. just kind of came to be. And then there's all sorts of other bugs that would come up later on that you could exploit and, you know. It's kind of an interesting thing now when you have all these AAA gaming publishers trying to figure out, okay, what... Obviously, there were things that were intended and unintended, but do we build off of that or do we fix it? I mean, we're seeing this... uh, We've seen this in in, uh, RTS in general, um, I think to probably a better degree than some other games. We've seen issues with Smash Brothers where uh, the designers were saying, we never really intended for Melee to be the way it was, like with wave dashing, for instance. Exactly, yeah. Um, I mean, what, What is your... I know this is a big question, but what is your take on on bugs? I mean, uh, how should a developer try to approach this? Because there are some things that obviously can always be improved on within uh, the next iteration of a game, but there are sometimes these unintended, uh, beautiful consequences that can come out that uh, I think we see get patched. Let's talk about, I guess, in this case, fighting games. Yeah, What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, so um, this is kind of a, a thing where I think there's kind of a spectrum, right? So on one end, you have something that just completely destroys the game, right? So like you have, um, you know, the handcuff glitch that Guile can do in Street Fighter 2, right? Where he can just basically, uh, you know, he basically locks onto the character. And they call it handcuffs because that character is, can't move or anything. And basically, the game is kind of stuck like that until the time runs out, right? So you, if you were to... To, to use that in a match, it's just like, all right, I, you know, I use this glitch, and like now the time is just going to run out. And everyone has to wait, right? And stuff like that is kind of like it's obvious that you don't want that in a in a competitive atmosphere, right? But then there's stuff that's a little bit more iffy, right? Um, so uh, there's uh, you know there are some techniques that are not intended, like uh, uh, there's like a um, uh, a thing that T Hawk can do in uh, Super Turbo, uh, like a Uh, spd loop where like it's a it's it's a very powerful technique that once you get caught in you're you know you're just going to die but only a few people are able to pull it off right because of the skill cap yeah because because it's just like this really like really difficult thing to do and and then suddenly you know that doesn't become uh this game-breaking thing where every tournament you see people just using that one thing right so i think a lot of it has to do with how how much does it affect the game and in, in what way. And sometimes, uh, you know, the developers, they, you know, of course, they're all doing their best to like, you know, find that right balance. But, um, you know, I think if, if you go too much in one direction where, uh, you know, you just like let certain things just happen and, you know, that's fine, then the game might not be competitive. And that's fine, too. You know, it, not every game has to be competitive off the bat. But then there's the other spectrum of like, you know, okay, now let's, you know, that's not cool. That wasn't intended. Let's not let any of this stuff that was, you know, uh, unintended through. And we're just going to patch up every single little hole and and do, and, you know, make this game like exactly, um, you know, we're going to make the players play exactly the way we want them to play. I think that's another, that's the other end of the spectrum. So there's kind of like a, a middle ground, right? And the FGC, basically, uh, they're kind of used to the arcade culture where basically there were no real patches i mean there were some like small stealth revisions and stuff but uh basically like if you're playing like you know a version of third strike uh then that's kind of what you had right and if somebody was using a technique that was like kind of op or powerful or or maybe uh you know like you know just just you know using like chun in you know third strike right that's really good and you really couldn't go complain to the arcade owner because i want be like, I want my money back. I want my quarters back. Right, right. This guy was just laming me out with Chun, you know, and, and it was no fun. You, know, you can't do that. So, like, there's I think a lot, a big part of this kind of get, get good culture kind of came from that arcade, uh, you know, arcade atmosphere. And I think you can see it today in, uh, in, you know, fighting gamers. But, of course, it's stuff like that is also shifting uh, little by little because now we're kind of in a more modern era where, you know, arcades are you know, people are playing games that you know never been to an arcade you know that's like a regular thing right do you
0: think that's actually making it more challenging for people that want to get into fighting games if they have if if many people are playing from home i mean i know that on some level not everybody's going to have access to an arcade but just like the koreans got good at starcraft in part because there were pc cafes everywhere i find it so difficult to imagine trying to improve at a fighting game just by playing on the internet
1: yeah yeah so um Yeah, so uh, you know, improving um, improving at a fighting game is you know it's that's a big topic in and of itself, right? So uh, I guess the the way you do it nowadays is uh, I mean it's there are some similarities to the past where you know it it really is good to just have somebody sit there next to you and teach you know um, uh, Josh at uh, you know that the, the game bar that we go to um, right right I'm kind of teaching him Street Fighter uh, Five right now. And it's like I'm even when I'm there in person, it's like uh, it's still like a challenge to teach like all, all these concepts. You know, he's like learning from scratch. Right. Right. He's like learning. No foundation. Like, yeah. No foundation. And teaching somebody from that is uh, is still like, a, you know, it's a big hurdle. Right. And uh, it's, it, you know, just imagine like, you know, just like learning this by yourself, like, you know, in on, you know, by yourself uh, on the couch. And uh, you're just, like, going through, like, YouTube videos and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's very difficult. I understand that. And But, of course, the old-school arcade guys, they're going to be like, well, you know, back in my day, I didn't... Uh, I, I had to pay every time I, I wanted to just play against the CPU. You know, I had to pay to just, like, even, like, make the controls work on, on the games because, you know, they didn't have uh, the home versions at the time. So, uh, uh, you know, there's... I think that's another part of this kind of whole... This big like get good thing, this get good culture from from fighting games is is there you you know you had the 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 odds were against you to learn uh fighting games to a competitive level back in the day you know uh, there's there's another thing to consider as well it's like how good do you have to be right so if you want to get to a certain level obviously you're gonna you're gonna need some training you're gonna need, if you want to get to uh, the top levels it's good to have like mentors and stuff like that and right and but then like do you really have to be that good as well you know so um so there's kind of this thing called you know the, the skill floor uh as opposed to the skill ceiling where you know uh, how long does it take for you to get to the point where you're kind of you kind of get the game and you're like doing all the things uh that that are available in the game uh and uh, of course from there uh, you can go to all the exploits and all the glitches, and when you get to the very highest levels, right? So, it's. I think it. I think a big part of it is how good do you want to get? And if you don't want to, if you just want to button mash and like have fun, then it, that's not really a. It's not really a hurdle or anything, right? It's not really. Sure. A, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I've seen some people complain. I'm curious what you think about this. Um, Street Fighter Five, for instance, when that came out, a lot of people said it just wasn't accessible for new people. Now it's hard for me to relate to that because. Like you, I grew up playing Street Fighter. So I've just kind of been acquainted with 2D fighters. Yeah. But a lot of people were saying that, um, you know, the, the single player was sort of bare bones. Now, for me personally, and this includes StarCraft as well, I've never really cared about the single player.
1: Okay. yeah, like yeah.
0: I, I, I haven't even beat Legacy of the Void yet. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I, um, I, I'm way more obsessed with the multiplayer. But do you feel like there's some kind of a uh, an, an overall barrier? And I, I want to put this question along with, I think a bigger question, which is that, um, have people become too, uh, do people complain too much when a game isn't made accessible to them?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I think a a lot of people who have seen my videos would probably uh, know that, I'd probably say that, uh, yeah, there's, there is kind of this, uh, this kind of culture of, you know, this is hard and I'm gonna go straight to social media and just, you know, rail on the developer, rail on people who are better than me, rail on everybody, yeah. right? And I think this is, it's, you know, it's partially because we have, you know, social media these days. I know we talked about social me- media um, before, but it's, right, it right. kind of allows anybody to um, to just voice their opinion directly to the guy responsible, right? So in a lot of cases, uh, you know, you have like uh, Harada, Who's active on Twitter, and he you know he answers questions and can, he talks to people. Can you just tell the viewers who Harada is real fast? So Harada is the uh, the producer of, of Tekken, and uh, basically he's the guy that you curse if uh, you know your character sucks or whatever. You can say you say, "Oh, I'm going to email Harada," right? Right. Yeah. That's, they had uh, that
0: with David Kim when StarCraft Two came out as well.
1: Exactly. Right. So there's always like a, uh, there's always somebody who's kind of like you joke that I'm going to email that person when something doesn't go my way. Harada's that for Tekken, right? and basically um he's he's uh, I forget what i forgot what event it was at but like him and and michael murray um uh his partner they uh they put i think they showed their shirts and which said don't ask me for shit yeah and that's super <laughs> famous right and i think you know a lot of that is coming from you know all these 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 commu- communication routes to straight to the developers right they and everyone's asking Harada, you know, oh, why isn't this character in my game? You know, uh, you know, can you patch this? This is overpowered. You know, so at a certain point, you can't just listen to everything that your audience says because then you're not making the product anymore, right? Right. And it's just the mob making the product, and you know that's just going to be a, a mess, right? So you need to have a, kind of a, a visionary at the helm to kind of like oversee the, how this product's going to be. And I think that's really important for any any competitive game, really. Just, like, uh, somebody who can kind of, you know, have a vision for, for the product.
0: It also seems like a lot of times you have these games that are uh, turn out to be incredibly great on a competitive level, but they were built with different intentions, right? I mean, we've seen this with, I want to say, almost every game that ended up becoming competitive that wasn't a mod originally.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: You know, I, I think... Uh, clearly, in the very early days of Street Fighter, this was intended that you could play against each other and have fun, but uh, as it gets more and more complex and there's combos or or like infinites in, in Marvel's Capcom 2 or wave dashing, I've always wondered if maybe it was a mistake by some of these um, publishers to not keep some of that in there and then try to build in a mode that would teach you how to do that. I mean, when I look at like um, even Street Fighter 4, which was the one I got to play the most, the training mode is is very bare it's almost like it was like an alien gave you a weird looking rubik's cube and didn't tell you what to do with it yeah well yeah. here you go it doesn't even have all the combos yeah, yeah. and street fighter 5 is is i mean i granted the training mode is is pretty helpful yeah i feel like it doesn't quite give you enough and, and i with Tekken seven i thought they really put a lot of love into the training mode and yeah. correct me if you think differently oh,
1: oh the training modes seem like they're i mean the training modes these days are like pretty good i would say just Compared to like you know in the previous days where like well there were no training modes back back right. in the old days right you
0: just messed around against the computer yeah the unless campaign you,
1: <laughs> except for uh, Sailor Moon S which actually has a training mode it's like a 1994 SNES oh, really? or Super Famicom game with a training mode they're so ahead of their time wow <laughs> but um I guess we can talk about that game later but uh yeah definitely training modes these days are good and and there's a lot of things me- meant for competitive player uh, competitive players you can you know. In all these games, you pretty much record, uh, record a certain pattern or move set, and you can uh, have it on playback for for you know the uh, second player. And these are all really great features. Now, when it comes to tutorials and the games uh, teaching you how to play competitively, yeah, most you know most of these newer games triple triple A titles, they generally have very very poor uh, tutorials to to help you get to. You know anything better than just like you know doing a few basic things, right? Um, oh, shout-outs to uh, games like uh, Killer Instinct. Of course, those games. Uh, there, there are some games out there that do a really good job with tutorials. And uh, uh, Guilty Gear, uh, uh, Guilty Gear Exert, and uh, the 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 game that's trending right now, uh, Unist. Those games uh, have really good training stuff. Uh, they they explain like everything uh, from the most basic to the to, to like the crazy advanced stuff. So there are games out there that are doing that. It seems like some of these AAA titles uh that are like, you know, mega sellers like they generally don't uh have as good tutorials. But then if you think about a lot of these people who are playing these games, most people who ever play these games are not, you know, they're not trying to do like, you know, max damage punishes and and stuff like that. So I can kind of see why, you know, uh some of these developers might not prioritize that sort of thing and then there's also the idea that you know we don't want to just spoon feed uh everybody everything i think there's a little bit of that going on too um i think uh, some developers kind of hide that frame data information they don't want it to be like in the games uh even though people will figure it out eventually and make an app but you know they'll they won't put that like directly in the games on purpose because you know it's it's it makes it so uh it takes a little bit longer to figure out the game right so i think they they like to keep that there to keep the longev- longevity of the game uh you know as as long as possible
0: I, i'm curious about this cuz coming from an um excuse me an rts background there's not a lot of rts games obviously mm-hmm. and not a lot of good ones there's a, there's a lot of really horrible ones i feel like fighting games it's the opposite um yeah. it feels like there's just a ton of great fighting games in my opinion i've always felt like Fighting games, as far as competitive multiplayer goes, it's the most mapped out um, and in some ways mastered multiplayer mode that there is. I feel like we're still figuring stuff out with FPS games like this Battle Royale mode. Yeah. It's now kind of taking over everything. Um, I think you know, there's not a ton of MOBAs, so I, it's kind of hard for me to say. You know, Besides Dota 2 and League of Legends, there's not a lot more. I guess there's Heroes of the Storm as well, which isn't doing great. Fighting games, there's just a ton. In RTS, we have StarCraft 1, StarCraft 2, WarCraft 3, and some other games that are like, ah, like they're okay. But um, what I find most interesting about that is like, since I cast both StarCraft 1 and StarCraft 2, I find that there's a rivalry with the two games, even though they're so similar. Yeah, yeah. They're both StarCraft. If you're good at one, you can usually easily transfer your skills over to the other and enjoy it. Um, But there's still a rivalry there. Um, and I still meet people in person and have very strong opinions about one or the other, and they usually don 't like the other one, not everybody, but I see it a lot i don 't feel like that 's the case overall in fighting games um with uh, uh, the exception of maybe smash sometimes
1: yeah so actually so there is uh there is kind of um there definitely is a uh rivalries between you know the the different games actually like you're mentioning, there's so many fighting games that it 's almost like I want to make the analogy to, you know, like indie music, right? Yeah. So fighting games, there's so many fighting games out there and so many underground unknown games that it's almost like, uh, you know, the different games that you're into kind of like affect your street cred, right? So like naming your favorite games kind of, (laughs) it it shows, it kind of tells a little bit about who you are, right? Yeah. So there are so many games and there are like some games like uh, uh, there's a, there's this, game called Kanta, I think it's Kanta 2 I forgot the whole name uh, a friend showed it to me but uh, I, I don't know you might you may have seen it at uh, the game bar we go to but uh, it's basically like this kind of like it looks like this kind of MS paint drawn uh, oh, fighting I see game. This game yeah, yeah and uh, it's it's just like this w- one developer who just kind of made this game out of a, as a passion project and it has like a ton of characters and it's just kind of like you know sound effects are you know totally like goofy and you know it's just kind of uh uh, it's you know when you look at it, it's like whoa, this thing is like really trippy, and it's like it's like nothing you've ever seen, and you know that exists, and there are people who play that competitively, and then when they do, when people like stream that game, and they're they're they have like a little tournament, like the developer goes on to like watch and like you know like enjoy like his creation being being played by these people, and like you know you you have stuff like that, and it goes all the way up to like you know Street Fighter Five or or Tekken Seven, where you have like you know like these. Big followings, you know, old legacy games. So there's, there's, there's definitely like kind of like this, um, this feeling I get with a lot of people who are, who look at like you know all these different fighting games, and they kind of like you know, they you know like some of the more mainstream games. You know, people there are some people who will just kind of shit on it because it's like mainstream and you know right. uh, too mainstream. And and I think it really is uh, similar to the way people, uh, you know, people's musical tastes work in a lot of ways and like you know there's some people who will just like have all these opinions about these games but then they just don't play these games you know they'll have like opinions about them but they won't actually play the game so that's another I feel like that's
0: everybody now on the internet <laughs> with games i mean i've been amazed at how much people have opinions on games that haven't fucking come out yet <laughs> yeah where i'm yeah. like what
1: are you talking
0: about man yeah. you haven't played it yet you don't know you know but you'll you'll, you'll see a mode or some feature and people get worked up. And I understand, you know, if you have something that might change your favorite game, yeah, okay, you have an opinion on it. But that does seem to be the case with a a lot of um, gaming in general. I know that when StarCraft um, 1 was getting remastered, now as someone who grew up playing StarCraft 1 and competing uh, in it, I'm obviously very excited. But for someone who launched their professional career with StarCraft 2, obviously I love that game too. And I have a blast casting it. And I love that game as well. But I remember all these people coming out of the woodwork and saying, Well, this is bad or it's it's you know, it's never gonna it's never gonna take off or, or Koreans won't switch over to the remaster, all this, you know, kind of crazy negativity out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um
1: Oh it this is def- it, it's definitely like that in, in fighting games. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Definitely there's there's a lot of that. So there's there's people I mean, obviously like there are people who don't like the newer games. Uh they don't like the way they uh they work, they don't like maybe the visuals. Um, you know, and you know, that's fine. There are a lot of people who uh who have legitimate reasons for not wanting to move over to the new games. And, you know, there'll be people who are like, you know, just that guy doesn't like change or whatever. And there'll be this big argument. And, you know, and then of course there are people who will just shit on it just for the sake of it. Right. And you're talking about how there are just people who will, who will just shit on stuff without actually like playing it or, or trying it. And kind of like this, this bandwagoning a bit. So there's that, too. So I, I think you know, both of those exist, and um, you know, there's, you know, it's not one way or the other. I,
0: this is a broad question, but I'm going to go for it anyways. Do you feel like there's um, more negativity within gaming communities now or more pessimism
1: than there, were, than there was before? I think more negativity and pessimism— uh, Well, maybe this is just the Internet. I don't know. Yeah, I think more negativity and pessimism is expressed now. Uh, Mm. You have it now, now more of it is published because anyone can publish any thought, right? And basically, you know, one of the most shared kind of emotion, one of the, one of the emotions that gets people to share the most is negativity, right? Some negative stuff that makes people angry and stuff that makes people angry is, uh, is, you know, obviously it makes people want to take action and share. And then basically, you know, these algorithms that kind of show what you see on your feed you know they understand this so the algorithms are put pulling these uh, these kind of uh, negative things up to your timeline you know stuff where it's very controversial um, people are fighting that that stuff gets, this isn't social media though. yeah it's social media in general and I, I think you know of course people had like opinions and stuff like that people have tons of opinions but uh, I think nowadays you're just seeing you know so much of it and you see so many people with their opinions that it's now, like, you know, if you're an opinion leader, uh, back then an opinion leader could write their opinion on, on a magazine. And that's like, that's, like, a, you know, very sacred space. You know, magazine space is, like, you know, you have to, like, get a job. You have to become a you writer. You have to you get an get editor hired, to approve and you. And you have to get an editor to approve you. And, like, and then that, your opinion was there, right? But nowadays, like, anybody can just say whatever their opinion is, you know, as long as they have like a camera, which now guess what? Everyone does cell phones, right? Everyone has an HD camera. These cameras do 4k now. Um, you know, there's just so many ways to put media and opinions out there. So that's, that's, uh, that's, I think what what we're seeing a lot these days. And, um, and definitely, uh, you know, like negativity does, uh, you know, sometimes people are really funny with it. So they're like these kind of, you know, uh, critical channels and stuff oh, that yeah. kind of make it into like a you know kind of a fun rant and that's actually you know, a good like, point
0: i feel like the internet's funnier than it's ever been yeah, yeah there's, definitely there's, some there's, there's more access to funny stuff but there's also just yeah, negative like just, not funny and negative yeah, just just yeah pessimism and bitching and um i mean we've talked about this i guess before the podcast, but in general that we're not huge fans of social media
1: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: i've i i don't use Facebook anymore. I have it just in case I need to log into something so they can steal my information. But <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, Mark Zuckerberg needs all. Yeah, that he info. needs that. You need to help um, him out. But um, I guess if you're working in gaming, at least in my experience, I think you'd agree. You kind of have to have a Twitter.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so. I mean, it's kind of you know, it is a double edged sword, right? I mean, you, yeah. There's there's great uses for it, and I think it ends up being a love hate relationship for a lot of people. You know that you know uh have a twitter account in these industries and i think people everyone kind of deals with it in different ways and some people like it and you know that's cool like some people uh just you know they they kind of get like you know how to navigate through the waters and they kind of they're able to take the uh negativity uh you know better and and uh definitely you know i i feel like some people really thrive uh with that but generally for me it's just been kind of like it's like okay you know gonna open this app and let's see what everyone's pissed off about today and you know like
0: yeah it's it's weird it's like now that we have phones you have this device that's like pandora's box and you can open it up and and make yourself crazy (laughs) yeah basically yeah and i mean it's not that everybody i mean i don't I don't get a, a ton of hate, but it's it's even the positive stuff can be weird if I have to check it all the time. Yeah, yeah. And then when you get something negative, and I don't think you and I are even unique in this. I've talked to oh, actually everybody I've talked to, <laughs> if they start to get negative feedback, it really does affect them.
1: Yeah, yeah. You I know? mean, uh, it's uh, you know, um, I've uh, I've actually done a talk about this kind of topic of of dealing with uh, you know, some of this negativity on the internet, right? So if you're a YouTuber and you are making content you are going to run into some negative comments i mean if, if you you're mean doing, on the youtube comment section yeah yeah Ooh. could you believe that the like on the youtube comment section negative comments in the youtube comments that section. is the man oh, <laughs>
0: that's the armpit of the internet right there is youtube comments yeah
1: yeah so basically yeah like youtube comments is kind of like you know you see like you, you see like some comments where it's like there's some guy who is just like you know just like just, just thinking something and then typing it and then just like in the the middle of that sentence he'll just hit enter and like that's the comment like you have like you know not even full thoughts and and yeah it can be pretty bad and and
0: you you don't know the age of the person you don't know what's going on in their life yeah you don't know if they're i don't know on something you know there's there's so much
1: yeah definitely but
0: there's something odd about seeing a cryptic message yeah someone sent to you like a note slipped under your door
1: yeah, and there's like some like some of those messages can be like really like ominous and threatening, and you know I've gotten some death threats. Uh, I think anybody who's on YouTube uh, for long enough, you know, yeah. uh, gets like some some weirdo with a death threat, and uh, you know it's like how do you you know how do you deal with that? You can't just like you know hide from the world. Uh, you I know, it's it's like, it's I mean, some about- some are more credible than others, obviously.
0: Oh no, absolutely. Well, I mean, either way, that's that's a, a bizarre experience. I had a. I had some really fucked up experience. This was years ago, but somebody sent me a fake story on Twitter about my brother dying oh my in a god. drunk driving serious? accident. And I, yeah, I was on the train, and like as I, I actually, I almost fainted. I was, oh my I was just, god. I was so, That's caught. And then, so and then up. I was like, you know, and there was like that thirty seconds where I'm like, oh my god, I, I gotta call my mom. And I thought, wait, 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 wait. This wouldn't be in a story. I yeah. would have already known. Yeah. Thought, okay. And then I, re- I thought, okay. Whoa, whoa. But yeah, yeah, yeah I know, I mean, but just that
1: for that moment, I mean, you yeah, know, it's yeah, like, and
0: then and then yeah, I mean I was I was sick. Yeah. For like, like an hour afterwards. I was just like, Whoa, you just I don't know, fucked up my brain chemistry. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean it's it's now now that being said, I would say the vast majority of my experience on the internet has been pretty positive. People are yeah, pretty yeah, nice yeah. to me. Um, especially now I think a Starcraft two is just old. Starcraft oh, yeah. one's old, so the people that are there are happy to be there, but I mean, you get a lot of crazy shit, especially with new games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where uh, kind of the crazy people come out of the woodwork, and they're usually going from title to title. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're whatever is the new game. Yeah. Um, but I- I've just found, for me, just limiting my uh, uh, interacting with the internet uh, to a certain degree is, is the best yeah. remedy. And, yeah. and dealing with people uh, in reality. Like, I, I almost never tweeted anybody if I am if I know them. I'll text them Yeah or yeah. call them. I always feel like that's healthier than this weird public format. Yeah. Where I'm like, hey man, I love what you're doing. Yeah. It's like, no, I actually I could just text him. They're, I have him yeah. on my phone, you know?
1: Nobody ever talks like you know the way they do in social media when they're in person. That's just like yeah. you would you would be like the you'd be insane. You know, if you were to talk like the way you talk on social media to like your close friends and, and homies, that would just you would sound like you know, a freaking robot, right? So I, right. I actually like the more I think about it, the more I realize that on social media i think I think it's almost impossible to get a good idea of what someone is like from just the internet i think it's yeah to to know like like you know i've known a lot of these people in the f g c so what 's interesting about the f g c is like it, it is a community where everyone kind of you know gathers at these tournaments and people really meet each other uh, in real life so what what ends up happening in the f g c is um oftentimes you'll you know, there are these people with like, you know, they don't have many followers or anything, but they're kind of active on Twitter and they're, they're responding, uh, you know, to, um, you know, fighting game people. And it, there's a good chance that you'll meet these people in person and you'll, you'll talk to them. And what you notice is you get to see the Twitter version of people and you get to see the real life version of people all the time in the fighting game community, right? Right, right. So what I've noticed is, you know, after just interacting with people in person and and seeing their Twitter persona for years, I've I've realized that it's it's a terrible indicator of what those people are actually like, right?
0: Yeah, you have no context. I knew this kid. um, I'm not going to say his name, but he was a guy who was competitive StarCraft one player, and I thought this kid was such an asshole. Yeah, just the way he talked to me. I thought, man, what is your problem? And then when I met him, I realized the tone he was using, because he talked almost exactly like he did on the internet, but I realized, oh, it was in jest. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, he had a very vulgar, uh, blunt way of talking. I thought, oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I didn't get the, the context of what you know he was saying, because it was all, it was like a dry, crude sense of humor. Yeah, But yeah. It, it, of course, doesn't come across if you're reading it. Yeah, Which exactly. I think is kind of the, one of the bigger problems in general. Yeah you know, with the internet. Well, not a problem, I guess it's just, that's the reality of trying to read text. Yeah, exactly. Without without an author behind it, you know, saying, he said with a grin or a wink or, you know, anything like that. Um, You know, on this topic in general, something I've kind of noticed and I've wondered, and I guess you and I both experienced this firsthand, is when you're a content creator, especially in gaming, there's nobody to tell you how to deal with this. Yeah. Uh,
1: That's uh, a, so my wife to hear me like you know complain (laughs) about this and she's just feeling bad because you know it's like yeah yeah i don't i can't really i don't know what to say really and like she tries to help and she's really supportive like she's like amazing right and uh so you know i you know you don't really yeah i don't have like a ton of people i can talk to about this but um but i do know that you know other people are kind of you know they've they've run into these issues and and i don't know it's just uh you know just it helps a lot to just you know talk to friends and and so, sometimes i uh contextualize you know the the issue as like um so uh yeah in in the talk that, uh, one of the talks i did about content creation i uh, i i kind of mentioned one of the things that kind of helps me deal with this kind of like negativity and and these really brutally honest things on the internet where people just say whatever they want i i compared it to kind of being like um you know um professor x uh, you know, X Men, right? Because, like, yeah. think if you think about it, like, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that's good. He, I like that. Yeah, if you, if you think about it, he he's a he can read everyone's thoughts, right? And then, like, breath, from from, from Game yeah, of yep. yeah, from from the. <laughs> if you're just like looking on the outside you're like whoa that's a that's a rad power like i'd love to have that power right but Uh if you if if you were to actually have that power most people's thoughts would be like really like messed up and fucking
0: crazy crazy and
1: like you know like people and like everybody has like these really messed up thoughts too right sure yeah even like the best people you'll meet they'll just have like this one messed up thought and you'll just be like whoa Whoa. i didn't know that person was capable but i mean you know that's that's just the way people's minds are and then like on the internet, it's like it, it, for some reason, people just have this tendency to just put what's on in their mind onto you know, a written format and everyone's there to see it. So it's like everyone is kind of Professor X. But then why do we think that that's such a good power to have? You know, why, why are we you know, uh, sometimes jealous that you, that this guy can read other people's minds? Well, it's because you can get honest feedback, right? So yeah. you can kind of see where people stand with your content and what you can do better. And some of my best feedback has come from people who were not constructive, but were criticizing. Right? So I've, I, you know, I don't want to say this because then people might like, you know, j- justify their evilness. Right? I know how to help you. Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, you know, like they yeah, they're just like they'll they'll tell me about something about my audio. Like I had a lip smacking problem in my second analysis video, where like I had a lot of um, you know, like saliva noises. And uh, yeah, this guy was really mean about it. And, you know, he told me and I was like, oh, sh- okay, damn. Okay, I fine, you know. And then from then on, I, you know, started editing all that out and I never got that complaint again. But that definitely was an improvement, right, in, right. My, uh, in my content. And so uh, in a certain sense, like, you know, you know, it's, it's hard to have thick skin when it's just that many bad comments, you know, like, everyone has a limit. But if you're going to like feel bad, at least like make that feeling bad for a reason, right? And uh, yeah. that's to, to take that comment and see if you can actually do something to make your content better. And then if you keep on improving your content, well, then it doesn't matter because, you know, you're doing great, right? It's like, cool. Like, okay, that guy hurt my feelings or whatever, but my content's better now. So, you know, and I don't even get, care about that guy. So thanks for the free, you know, advice, I guess. You know? Yeah, I,
0: I guess there's got to be a way to do it right. And, and, you know, there's definitely people that are doing it wrong because, I guess you could call it like social media, psychological hygiene. You know, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's people, I mean, I see, I've been out with people who cannot get off fucking Twitter. Oh, okay. they're there all the time and they're taking photos of their food. I, I, I do feel like there's like a kind of social hygiene. Um, yeah. A hygiene that you have to have with social media psychologically, if, if you're going to use it. Cause I've, I've been with people that are on Twitter all day. They're checking Twitter. They're tweeting at everybody. Uh, even when they're out with friends yeah um, which is always weird uh, yeah you know, they're constantly having to share what they're eating, what they're doing, and you know nobody nobody cares that I mean unless you're doing like the coolest thing ever, yeah, yeah, it, probably you don't need to tell yeah exactly. thousands Yeah, of people this, but um i yeah, I think one of the best ways to to handle stuff like that is just to limit how much you take it in and then what I do for feedback is uh I have people that I just trust that kind of work in the same industry. Yeah. Or people that watch my stuff that I, I can appreciate their feedback. Because sometimes, for me, I've gotten feedback where I've tried to implement it, and then I get bad reviews, and I realize, oh, okay, that was just one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was trying to kind of tailor me to what they thought I should be doing when the rest of the viewers are more comfortable with that. Yeah,
1: there's definitely bad feedback as well.
0: Yeah, and it can be hard to parse that, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. um So, yeah, basically, um uh yeah, when it comes to social media, the, the way I've – Kind of dealt with it is I just put a I put a child lock on my social media. I I, I oh really I have an app I think I think it's called Anti Social that lets you put a certain amount of minutes that you're allowed to be on that particular platform uh, per day, right? So I I have a I have a thing for Twitter um, where like after I think uh, mine's like 30 minutes a day. I don't want to go over 30 minutes a day on on Twitter, and um, and yeah, like after that that time runs out, like I'm like. You know, all right, I can't use Twitter anymore for for the rest of the day. Now, sometimes I need to look at DMs if someone's in town, and you know, right. to look at the messages. And I'm like an exception, but um, but yeah, uh, it's it's actually uh, been really nice because it, it's amazing when you do that lock, like you know, you put yourself at 30 minutes a day. You you're amazed at how much you actually go back to the app, forgetting that you're now locked out. Like I'll be locked out, right, and then I'll visit, I'll hit Twitter just out of habit, like. Ten more times the rest of the day without even like and this is after me having this this app for a long time so it wow. really shows how how these algorithms and stuff they they, they really get you you know these companies are trying to uh get as much of your attention on their app as possible right and you know like our brains are no match for you know these like expensive super advanced algorithms and stuff like that right
0: there's been studies as well that I, I don't know how true this is, but I have heard this, that you can only have about 150 people that you're kind of close to. Oh, yeah, Dun- Dunbar's number. Dunbar's yeah. number, thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, that can be your girlfriend, your wife, your best friend, or your friend that owns a bakery that you see once every three months.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: yeah. But it's it's hard to surpass a certain number, and one of the things I find interesting when you get to a large number of people um, on social media is that, Suddenly, people are interacting with you that you have no connection with at all. The connection really is just one way. Yeah, they consume yeah. your content and they're part of your life, but you you simply put could not be part of their life. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's one of the reasons I don't generally tweet back at anybody anymore, unless it's someone who I haven't talked to in a long time. Yeah. Um, and they tweet at me, and I, I you know I haven't I have no other way to get back to them. Um, I'll like a lot of tweets, but I've just found it's it's and I appreciate, I think it's, I see every tweet that people send to me, Yeah. but yeah. I can't possibly tweet back at all those people yeah, and try yeah. to kind of maintain some kind of a relationship. But I always wonder if that's another factor with social media that kind of strains us is that I don't think you're supposed to know that many people or be close to that many people. And I guess that's kind of just the day and age we live in now, you know?
1: Yeah, it kind of started with Facebook uh, with the idea of friends, right? They They actually just called it friends on Facebook like how many friends do you have so you know for the first time people can say I have a thousand friends you know like I have actual I can I have literally a thousand friends on this uh software platform uh called Facebook and you know it's it's true you could know a thousand people but you know of those people they're definitely gonna be people that it's gonna be awkward when you go down if you met them at a dinner table or something and you know, uh, you barely know this person, and it's going to be—you know—you're not going to be like, "Hey, what's up, man?" Yeah, yeah. or, or I've,
0: you can have it where um, you meet somebody who follows you on Twitter, and maybe you've tweeted back and forth, and they'll come up to you and start talking to you like they know you. Yeah, and you'll realize uh, this has happened to you where someone hasn't quite introduced themselves or is assumed that.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, that,
0: that's happened to me too. Where I'm like, I don't. And then you say, "Sorry, who who are you?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we we tweeted back and forth. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, we, have we met in person? I don't know.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, it's I, I can definitely see like kind of the confusion because sometimes you know you spend a lot of time you know on you know consuming content. Yeah. And you know at any given point in time, I guess you know probably more so for you than me, or I, I guess it'd be the same for us. At any moment in time, someone's listening to us talking, uh, and it's and right. it's not this podcast. There are people hearing us talk on you know. On YouTube, and uh, and you know a bunch of other platforms, and uh, it's it's kind of weird because you know the, the idea that you get to talk to so many people at the same time, you know that's 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 a media thing, right? Without media, you wouldn't have been able to do that. So, it, S- especially it, for what we do,
0: which even though you know there's your beauty, your vods or sorry your videos on um, on YouTube get a ton of hits. Um, I have great reach to get all these people, but it's only because of the internet and because of the fact that we can get access to all these people. Yeah, more easily. There's no way thirty, forty years ago we could have the content that we're making and put it on like Channel 13 or something at five o'clock at night. Yeah, and get the same kind of following.
1: It's like the the writer, the editor, who you know, right? Uh, the writer who has to get through the editor with like an opinion on like a game, right? In in magazines, it's like, yeah, that's that's gone. So that actually, in that sense, you know, social media, the internet that, you know, is totally good for people who are making this kind of content, right? So this is why we can't completely hate Twitter, right? Because it's still like, it's it's one of those outlets that where we can, uh, you know, reach out uh, uh, to a large audience, right? And, and so it's, yeah I guess the best way to describe it is it's just kind of like a love hate relationship right i mean there's that you can put positivity on uh on Twitter as well so like you know I said like negativity is kind of one of the top shared emotions or, or not uh maybe not negativity but anger right yeah which is kind of a negative emotion um but uh but also like another another metric that they uh another thing that they measured was uh was awe right People being amazed, and that was actually really close to anger, uh, and so you can reach a lot of people and get shared a lot because you just blew someone's mind, right, yeah. about something, and that's what explains a lot of these science channels, you know, like Vsauce and you know CGP Grey. These people are out there blowing people's minds, and that's then they're getting shared for that reason. That's super positive, right? I mean, you know, these, uh, you know, these creators are, uh, you know spreading awareness of like uh, science and, and technology and, and, you know, uh, talk about social issues and they make it kind of fun, exciting. And, uh, so there's like, there's like a positive aspect to all this kind of social media craziness as well. So I guess the the question is, you know, how do you, uh, you know, how do you deal with this kind of newer age? And I feel like the young kids, you know, who just kind of grew into this, they're the ones that, that are really just able to like, you know, uh, kind of get it right just
0: uh, they get it or they're getting fucked up by it <laughs> yeah sure. uh, I mean, okay yeah so it's, the, it's, it's it well i don't know you know I, this is something i wanted to ask you while just while we're on the topic of, of social media because um i mean never mind you and me I, i've seen pros just in, in complete emotional um <laughs> just wreckage yeah um yeah, you yeah. Know, they'll lose a match and they'll immediately get on twitter and then there's all these psychos and trolls that are mocking them yeah, yeah, or tearing yeah. them down. I, I wonder if maybe in you know twenty years we're going to have some kind of, or we're going to be teaching in school how to handle social media or or or, or something like that. Because
1: that's a it, that, yeah that's a pretty.
0: I yeah. mean, there's 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 definitely a, a particularly in competitive gaming uh, an issue where you have these some of the most talented minds in the world with nobody, no big brother, no big sister, no adults in the room helping them manage. Um, this, even though I think, you know, it's great that, it's great that, uh, I can contact a family member right now with a, with a box in my pocket my my phone. Yeah. That's, that was unthinkable, you know, a a few decades ago, but uh, at the same time, you also are letting in a lot of kind of weirdos or, or just upsetting thoughts and, and, and people bothering you. I wonder if if down the road, we're going to have some kind of system in place to kind of teach people how to handle this. Cause I am seeing a lot of young people that are getting, um, that are very talented, that are traveling the world and having all these great experiences. But the byproduct of that is, is, is them having to grapple with social media or reading about themselves on forums, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. So, um, this, that's kind of interesting. Cause like, you know, any, with any new like a uh, medium, there's going to be, um, a lot of changes in the way people communicate and interact. And if you want to go back way back, uh, you know, um, to when like print was kind of like a recent thing, uh, apparently from what I heard, like people reading novels, like books, was kind of uh uh kind of one of those things where like oh wow these kids are now reading these books and now they're not going outside because they're just putting their eyes on this the paper you know constantly being yeah. quiet to themselves. So whenever there's like a new uh, form of uh, media, there's a there is a lot of skepticism, and um, I don't know I, I you know that that doesn't mean that uh, the way this kind of social media experiment is going now is uh, is necessarily healthy, but um, there's I think there's gonna be a time of adjustment, I think, and it might be that this kind of social media um, uh, you know uh, culture is kind of adjusting right now as we speak, right so you know there's kind of of course there's the outrage culture, you know like look how you know like uh you know look how not racist I am you know, tweet or something the that just gets signally, like Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, that just gets like so much and it's like it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, cool, you know, I, I agree with that and stuff. So you, but you it's don't like, have to be very brave to say but that. But yeah, you know, you have, yeah, <laughs> you don't even have to, you know it's, but it's just like this this these kind of like posts and tweets, you know, I I think people are starting to realize like, okay, now the currency of like saying that is now starting to get, you know, uh, lower because like so many people have done it, right? Right. So um what ends up happening is I think it's, you know, if I'm optimistic, these kinds of, like, uh, this kind of, uh, you know, social media culture is kind of, like, uh, getting a little bit more tame because people are now, like, they kind of, like, predict, like, you know, like the, oh, like, I want attention posts and, oh, you know, these, if you do it too much, like, people will start calling you out, right? So it's, um, as people get more used to this format, I think uh, people are just, you know, maybe I'm being too optimistic, but I I do feel like over time, people will start, um, you know, Getting better at it, I guess every generation
0: has their fear, too. I mean, when we were growing up, a lot of people were very worried because young young versions of you and me were playing games where you could kill people, oh and yeah. honestly, I actually kind of get the concern if you didn't know anything about games. the idea that a young person is going in a simulation and murdering people and doing this and that, but it, you know if you grow up with it, I say, okay, well, I'm not violent at all, yeah, yeah yeah i um but yeah, yeah. I don't have a mean bone in me, but I I get the concern with that. And I mean, before that, what was it? Like metal heavy metal music? Yeah, yeah. heavy
1: metal music in the eighties, seventies
0: uh, yeah. it was you know, um young people smoking marijuana. Yeah. There was a whole scare about that, and so yeah, I mean, uh, perhaps we're going to be wrong, and this will just self-adjust. The whole social media thing. A yeah. lot of young people are not on Facebook as much anymore. Yeah, like uh, Facebook, doing stopped... Snapchat, and Instagram stuff like that.
1: Yeah, Facebook stopped getting popular when like their parents were able to get on and look at their pictures of them getting drunk. And yeah, you know, it's <laughs> like, oh, that's not a platform I want to be on. Like that's. It's a funny thing too
0: because it, it. I remember being in college, so I got into social media. I was on MySpace.
1: Oh yeah, uh, I remember MySpace way back in the day. Yeah. Um, oh man, MySpace.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel old. Yeah, I feel very old. Um, I don't know where Tom is now, but he's probably
1: doing all right. Yeah, the guy Tom that, that owns MySpace. Yeah, or, I think oh, he like MySpace. sold it to like Rupert Murdoch or something for like way too much money, and like somebody on social media was like, "Huh, you you know, you loser, your, your MySpace went nowhere." And he's like, "Yeah, I'm rich." Oh Fuck yeah, off. he's no, he's <laughs> loaded now. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, like. Having Facebook, I remember specifically the moment where suddenly my professors were trying to add me.
1: Oh, okay. You know,
0: and then I'm getting aunts and uncles that I haven't seen in a long time, and then there's that weird moment where you're going, "Oh, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> I can't have this this photo of of me playing beer pong. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could, but this is almost. I'd rather too, not. <laughs> yeah, I feel too exposed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to too many people that I had no interest in showing. You yeah, know, that i partied in college on a saturday night
1: yeah that's why like snapchat and like these you know these uh, platforms where you know they have like fleeting moments are kind of like you know yeah. the, the newer social media you know like the the social media where like the the evidence is kind of erased of course it's not completely erased nothing on the internet's ever fully erased right but right. um but you know for all intents and purposes you know you have this kind of more uh the you know social media starts to uh evolve towards like the different audiences and stuff. So,
0: yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a crazy time now. Cause I, I think to what you were saying before, I think it probably is self adjusting just the way that apps have changed to be not as permanent or the fact that Instagram is less about, um, it's more about in a way photography and memes and, and, and showing an image and less about, I guess, going on a diatribe. I've seen so many people self immolate yeah. on Facebook. Twitter's another one that I've always been amazed by. Um, in Twitter, I find to be a very handy tool, but I've seen so many people that I work with just say things, yeah. Where I think, oh no, you just said that to everybody who has the internet, yeah. You know that was unnecessary.
1: That's why there's there's the delete function, right? Right, right. And, uh, yeah, like I mean, just just today, like I, you know, like uh, like uh, someone tweeted at me about something, and uh, uh, and I think it was uh, about um, about a. Uh, tweet that i made a retweet that i made and uh and you know i i kind of use like a a term you know a little bit unclear and uh he, he responded it's like oh well that's not that thing that you mentioned that's actually not uh it's it's, it's this thing called a, a read right right and uh and you know and i was like <laughs> and then i just immediately my reaction was to be like define reads period <laughs> you know and i was like wait a minute that sounds really like that sounds really like Agri. hostile, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I deleted it, and I just I was like, "Oh, you know, how do you define this then? You know, and uh, and I realized, like, like man, like, you know, you that could just escalate into something, you know. So, um, so, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> that's the social media. Yeah.
0: If I can shift gears, here, I wanted to ask you about this, and and I love fighting games. I love watching fighting game tournaments. Um, I've done some fighting game stuff show-wise in the past, but I wanted to pick your brain on this because I feel like you're going to have a much better idea than me. Um, and as an outsider, I'm, I'm really curious about this. Kind of the state of Smash Brothers. Um, melee is this force that seems to be impossible to kill. Uh, <laughs> okay. But it is, it is such an... an obs- and I'm not saying I, I want it to, to go away or anything like that. I'm actually yeah. impressed with just... The staying power it has. It reminds me a lot of StarCraft 1 in Korea. Um, and then you have the situation now with the newest Smash is out, Smash Ultimate. Yeah. Um, and Nintendo, I guess, is sort of, kind of, sort of pushing some competitive scene, if I'm not mistaken. What is what is your take in general about the future of, of Melee, the future of Smash Brothers as a, as a competitive mode um, and kind of Nintendo's role in that and I know that's like a really big question that I'm asking but if you could kind of yeah dive into that I would love that
1: yeah so g- generally like I say like you know melee is kind of a it's a very it's a very old game that, um, is one of those games that's like that's never really been patched of course there's the PAL version of melee which has a couple of changes um, but by far most people play the NTSC version right so it's one of those games where... Sorry, just when you
0: say NTSC, just for the people that don't oh, know.
1: Oh, NTSC is uh, basically the, the American version, right. or, um, just to make it simple. Um, but uh, uh, American and, and Japanese. But um, the PAL version was a European version, uh, you know, meant for their uh, TV systems that uh, they were able to, like, adjust a few, you know, uh, things. like There was, like, a minor patch that made the game a little bit different. But other than that, like people are people are playing the same game that they played when they uh when they first got it right and the modern trend is when a game comes out is to just patch it a lot like nerfs buffs uh have like this um this patch culture and uh, that that has advantages and disadvantages right and people are uh you know people are going to be divided on what they like what they prefer right so um, Melee comes from, Melee is kind of like, uh, maybe like a, uh, you know, like Brood War. Uh, I, I imagine Brood War ha- stopped getting patches after a certain point, right? Uh,
0: Brood War was patched, Yo, know, a look, I think the last patch was 1999. Now in Remastered, they gave it a facelift and you could rebind hotkeys and they've changed just a, a few little things to make it more operational. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, I believe it was 19 years um, by the way, we're finally gonna get to use this. We for the for <laughs> for everybody listening. Oh, wow. we, we got the laptop that Melty's on hooked up to the big screen TV, so we can look stuff up. I believe it was uh, 1999. It was patched, so yeah, it wasn't changed for about 19 years. We'll get confirmation on that in a second.
1: Yeah, but the game is pretty much the same. It's it's not like they they changed all these properties since then, right? It's not right. like they. So the there's I think there's kind of. Uh, two ways that um, people prefer games um competitive games one is where they don't mess with the game uh they just you know they release the game and uh it's kind of it, it kind of lets the the competitive players figure out the game um, for a long time right uh it's it you know it's it 's a bummer whenever you learn a character or learn a race or whatever you spend all your time on it and then the 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 developer is just like, all right, that thing that you were working on, like for two months, like that technique, that's gone now. That's like, sorry. And so when you have like this patch culture, one of the downsides is it's almost like a lottery of like, you know, okay, so what? uh, I hope this company likes my character because I don't want my character to be nerfed. And uh, and one of the reasons why Tokido uh, has really likes Akuma is Capcom seems to kind of. Favor Akuma in terms of Yeah, he's, he's, and he's,
0: he's very large in the image of the brand. Exactly. Of, so, of, of Street Fighter, where, like, anytime you see, like, a poster, you see Ken and Ryu as well, but you see a lot of Akuma.
1: Yeah, and Akuma kind of has this. Uh, he's Akuma's notorious for being powerful. That's part of his character.
0: By the way, it was 1999. Okay, so. Okay. We had great. about 18, 19 years of just Starcraft 1. No no adjustments made.
1: Okay. So that's that's one kind of school of thought, right? it's You have this game that. Is kind of like is getting no more patches. It's by, kind of done.
0: By the way, this is the opposite in StarCraft One. All the units that Blizzard liked were all the awful units. Oh, okay. it was like the ghost. They just were trying so hard to get that ghost to be used. Um, the okay. ghost is pretty good in StarCraft Two, but it was uh yeah yeah a lot, a lot of units they were very excited about that just turn out to not be uh, uh, easy to utilize.
1: Okay, maybe they're just not fundamentally flawed or something. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, but anyways, yeah. yeah. So so like there's there's some people really like that fact where they can just kind of figure this game out for and like and not have to worry about you know all these changes that are coming but then in modern games like in street fighter 5 there's like a a one or two patches like every year sometimes more and uh what what ends up happening is patch day comes right and everyone's you know on their phones and they're like (laughs) okay i hope my character's not useless now right and uh in you know that's that can be a bummer but then on on the plus side uh, it does bring, like, a freshness to the game, right? So there's, you know, um, some of these really old games they don't that don't get patched and, and upgraded for a long time. It's, they're always in kind of this danger of, like, getting stale, like, getting figured out, right? Yeah, I so, guess
0: it's, it's in different parameters as well that you're operating in, right? Like, with StarCraft 1, and RTS in general, and I think one advantage RTS has over a lot of games, um, and I think first-person shooters have this as well, is maps. Mm-hmm. We can just change the map. And then the games changed. So a lot of StarCraft 1 was, in a way, inadvertently being patched by the map makers. Okay. When there seemed to be some problem like, oh, Terran can build too many turrets in the middle of the map and make too many mines and Protoss can't get out. Well, then they'll make a map where you can't build in the middle of the map. Okay. Um, but I feel like, in, in particularly in, in Street Fighter... Uh, unless yeah. I, unless I'm mistaken, there's no. Yeah,
1: it's just the characters and the, all the maps yeah. are the same. The map is an aesthetic, right? Yeah, it's just in, an in aesthetic. In even yeah.
0: the size, right? There, it, there's no level. That's yeah, actually wider, right?
1: Yeah, it's it's just one like uh, the stage is like one size usually for every stage. Okay. And then of course, like sometimes, like I think in Third Strike, like I think Gill's stage, the final boss stage is like actually like a little smaller, or okay. maybe it was bigger, but uh, you know, but but generally, yeah, I think they probably banned that stage in uh, in tournament, but. Um, but yeah, like the stage size is just an aesthetic usually, and um, not in Tekken. With Tekken, there's like breakable walls and stuff that yeah. can, that can act as combo floor extenders can break too, right? Yeah, floor can break. Um, but um, but yeah, in Street Fighter, is just the you know the characters, you know, the, and uh, that's and those are the things that are getting. Um, affected big time so it's almost personal too right it's like whenever you see the patch notes it's about about your character (laughs) and you're like oh my god how how dare they do that to you know uh, my character and how dare they do this and and then you look at the other characters you're like oh that character got buffed and sometimes you're like oh that character got nerfed oh too bad you know you don't use the character so you're happy about it and so i think one problem that can come from that kind of culture is there are sometimes you see these campaigns on Twitter that attack certain characters, like, that character's way too powerful, you know, and, like, everyone will just kind of dogpile on a certain character, and then, like, and then nobody knows what's going on at these companies, right? But they might, you know, they might listen to some of this feedback and decide to just destroy that character because there's a lot of, like, you know, campaign of hate towards that character. And if they are doing that, then what that means is part of the, the new meta in your game, is how good are you a Twitter warrior at making campaigns against, you know, how much you hate something, right?
0: There's also this unseen thing of, of data farming. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I remember uh, this is, uh, the, the person will remain nameless, but I was talking to somebody uh, who was in charge of StarCraft 2 and um, both Artos and me were saying, you know, a lot of people are saying that this race, I'm going to keep this ambiguous so people don't freak out, yeah. uh, that this race, this the late game isn't people are saying it's overpowered but in our opinion and experience it's not we were talking to him he said oh no no you're right because we have the numbers on that Yeah, this race does fine after 15 minutes Yeah, people yeah. who are complaining on, online don't know what they're talking about because at the highest level the game goes on for this amount of time and this race wins so those people are wrong I'd be curious how that works because I would imagine there has to be data like just massive amounts of data collected on all yeah. the online matches as well
1: yeah definitely so I, I think at one point there was some patch um, there was a patch. Uh, for Street Fighter Five, where um, it was kind of interesting because uh, there's a there's a character Cammy who was already seen as like very strong, um, and and she got buffed like a lot, and everyone was like, "What the heck is going on?" You know, this is uh this is already this she was already super strong, and they like added like gave her a new move and stuff like that. Yeah. Like I think they they would give her like an air throw and stuff like that, just like just like. Giving this character all this stuff, and and people were were kind of confused because it's like, okay, this is a character everyone deemed overpowered. Why why did you do that? And then I think some people looked up the data of um, of online results, and it turns out that at the casual levels of play, which is what how most people play Street Fighter Five, because they're more casual than competitive, obviously. Uh, at the casual levels, uh, Cammy was losing like the most, so Cammy was actually doing really. Bad. And it makes a lot of sense because Cammy's. But, but kinda... you're saying at the casual levels, yeah, at the casual levels. So like, oh, man, uh, that's scary. Whenever you patch like anything on a. Exactly, on so, results of
0: low tier play. Exactly, with so, all due respect to those people, no one gives a fuck <laughs> if you can't play at the lowest level. I mean, this is ooh, yeah. that's scary. Yeah, ooh, I got chills. Exactly. Just now so, when you like, that.
1: so people were people were kind of like, I, I mean, I mean, nobody knows exactly what Capcom was thinking. You know, right, when they made right. these Patches, but, but people were. But like, that
0: that like, concept of patching from the bottom up, yeah, yeah. is
1: I feel like just. It is. It's, it's, that,
0: that is like a bizarro world of, of, of fixing games for competitive play.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of terrifying, but you know, you can kind of see why a company would do that because if you think about it, casuals are people too and they play, you know, they're probably more, you know, they they they're they're way more casual players, definitely. And if you uh, if you just cater towards like the competitive players, they're going to feel left out, right? So I think um but of course it's a problem when you know when when you start listening to you know the casuals complaining about the game that who barely know how the game functions then you start uh you start getting into problems I mean, now. There's
0: yeah. also this I mean I I think this is um a larger problem in games in general is trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator of player. <laughs> and I'm not and look I'm not trying to be uh, like, a, a, in a sense, a, a gatekeeper. You're an elitist. <laughs> an elitist scumbag uh, or anything like that. But, you know, these people who... Do you want
1: any more tea, by the way? Oh, no, I'm, I'm good. Thank okay, you. Okay,
0: just let us know. We can get you some more if you need some more. Um, it, th- There's a huge problem um, with trying to appease the lowest-skilled players, assuming that these are people that actually want to invest in the game. Because, in my experience, the people who complain the most about any game yeah. are the most likely to switch to the next game, exactly. find out that they're horrible at that game, be genuinely confused yeah. at why they're bad at that, because secretly they should be the, the best, mm-hmm, but it's actually course. the publisher's fault and the game's fault and the, the controller's fault and the internet's, you know, the, the, the latency's the issue. Um, those people are going to go away anyways. Yeah. Um, not to mention it would just seem like a liability that at the highest... That your, that, Whether publishers like it or not, the players that become the best at their game ultimately become the experts, inadvertently become um, the... How do you say this? The avatars for the vitality of the game, um, the advertisement for the game. If you have one of your top pros say... um, And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying Capcom's doing this. I actually think they do a good job with their games. But let's say they say Capcom's fucking up and this game sucks. Yeah, that seems like a more of a PR disaster than if you have one of your top eight players in the world saying that. Yeah, yeah. probably knows the game almost better than anybody out there. Then then then
1: then a dude who, you know,
0: can't can't do a combo.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of I guess I don't know how, you know, these companies work or anything, but I'm sure they have their, you know, they have their cost benefit analyses and, you know, they they try to figure it out. Um, yeah, nobody really knows what's going on and, and, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a big web web of, you know, uh, it's kind of like this big complex, uh, thing with all these moving parts, I'm sure in these companies yeah. and, and how they work. So I, I, you know, I don't really know exactly how they do it, but definitely there is that, that fear of, uh, you know, you don't, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're into the competitive aspects of these games, you know, you want it you want it uh the competitive players in mind right and uh and so yeah i don't know it's it's kind of tiring also to kind of like uh you know look at these uh you know patches and results and try to make sense out of it and yeah. another, another thing is at the end of the day what ends up happening is you just have to play the game and get good like there's no so so there's a weird it's kind of a it's kind of a a conundrum, right? So, on one hand, you're like, okay, you know, why are they making the game like this? And, you know, you want to talk about legitimate, like, criticisms about the game, right? But then, at the same time, if you do that too much, then you're just a whiner, you know? Yeah. And if you're a whiner, that, that's not a good champion. That's not a good mentality to have. Uh, So, you know, what do you do? And, like, so, like, you know, when Season 1 came out of Street Fighter Five. One of the big kind of blow-ups was when people found out it had eight frames of input lag, and in a fighting game, that's like you've got
0: a great video on this. By yeah, like.
1: that that's you know that that's one of the reasons I made it because it was kind of a big deal, like you know. But most people, like if you're a casual player, you don't care about a, a few extra frames of input lag. You're not going to notice. Like,
0: yeah, to a casual player, you might be laughing at, at what this even is because you don't realize the gravity exactly of something like this in an actual competitive setting.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, eight frames of lag can, doesn't. Yeah. yeah,
0: can you just explain to? For everybody listening, what that means what that Yeah, means so here.
1: basically, um, so input lag is uh, whenever you press a button on your controller, um, how long it takes for your attack to register on, on the screen. So as you can imagine, that's extremely important for something like a fighting game where, you know, like every frame counts. And to give you an idea of how important uh, a frame, a single frame of, of lag can make, you know... Uh, you know, a big thing in the Street Fighter four days was, um, you know, are they going to have have Street Fighter played on PS three or Xbox three hundred and sixty? And there was only one frame of input lag difference, but you know, every pro player you talk to, they they definitely know the difference, and they have to time everything you know differently. And that was just one frame. So, uh, so basically, when Street Fighter five came out, real quick, you know,
0: how, how is that 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 it came out on is that a problem with the the hardware?
1: Yeah, so there's the a
0: PlayStation or is there, is there some kind of conspiracy theory where Xbox brought Capcom yeah. <laughs> kind of into a in a cigar smoke filled room and said give us one extra for I mean what that that seems so strange to me when you have clearly that is so impactful. Yeah, have so have the same thing on two different consoles and then clearly one is only playable for competitive purposes.
1: Exactly. So I I think like for um during the Street Fighter 4 days like it was like one frame of lag so people were just kind of like okay maybe that's just like a system architecture thing okay it's just one frame so maybe uh there's there's something going on with how uh, how the 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 consoles work right but then when Street Fighter 5 came out um and uh it had eight frames of input lag that was about three more frames than you know the previous you know good version of Street Fighter 4 and this this was kind of a this was kind of a shock to a lot of people because it was like, you know, this is like, this is like a new level of input lag in these fighting games, and so the, what the big problem with that was, of course, you can still play competitively and everything, but if you were a player that basically was like, man, I don't like the, this 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 input lag is terrible, you know, and you're a competitive player, you're gonna seem like a whiner, right? And so people who complain, it's funny, the internet was like railing at Capcom for having eight frames of input lag. Like it was a meme, right? They're just making fun of the game, you know, as being like this goofy, like, you know, laggy game. And then at the same time, these same people would be, they'd be criticizing these players for for mentioning it, right? So they'd be like, you know, it's like, you know, how do you feel about this game? They're like, oh, well, you know, like, I can't be as reactive because there's 8 frames of input lag now and I think one of the players uh when when he was on record saying that like he just got everyone blew up at him for like no now you're whining about the game you know you're you're making excuses you know like and then whenever some player is very reactive and doing really well and playing reactively they're like oh looks like uh, this player can do it why can't you so it, it kind of became this the worst of like you know the the internet right it's like there's just they're like, this eight frames is so stupid. You guys are so you know, terrible for having this eight frames. And then when the player's like, yeah, yeah, this eight frames sucks, it's making my play, like it's messing up my play. Then they get mad at the players, you know people get mad at the players. So like, it's like, who can, who can talk about this? So one of the reasons why I made a video on, on the eight frames topic was I wanted to increase awareness of how important you know, this can be and how it can affect the games. And I'm not a, like a competitive player. I can talk about the eight frames and why that's that can hamper, you know, uh the the gameplay and no one's gonna be like, Well Gerald's just making excuses uh for his you know <laughs> like like no, I'm you know, I'm not I'm not like a pro player or anything, so I could do that. So I I know that's one of the big problems with uh, being a top player and criticizing the game, even if it's a legit criticism. It just never looks good, right?
0: I, on that note, um I should, I'm sorry, can we pause for a minute? I have to pee so badly. Go for it. Sorry. <laughs> okay, we're going to cut for a quick break here. I had to go to the bathroom really, really badly. Uh, <laughs> so um, while we're here on this short break, a uh, quick plug for the Patreon. Um, these mics, the laptop, the mic arms, all this stuff, uh, it's pretty expensive, but you know, with good quality stuff, we're able to make a good quality podcast. Um, one of our Patreons am i saying this right melty mike kernicky john kernicky oh shit john kernicky sorry about that john i thought your name was mike i don't know how i made that you know what it was i was talking about microphones yeah that happens. must have been what it did um so uh he's been donating a hundred bucks a month so really thank you so much john kernicky for supporting this and we're actually what are we going to get cloud we're getting cloud soon
1: yeah we're getting Cloudlifters co1 to help improve the quality of the show
0: well, that's excellent. So, um, you know, right now, the money that we're getting, um, uh, first of all, I really appreciate everybody who's been supporting us on Patreon. If you have any uh, extra cash and want to throw it our way, we really appreciate it. Uh, for now, uh, we actually just did it a minute ago. We ordered the, the cloud lifters. They should be coming tomorrow. Um, so, uh, hopefully, in podcast four, we sound a little bit different. Let us know what you think. Uh, and I guess that does it for our break. Should we just go back to the Gerald um, podcast? I think we should. All right, let's do it. We're going back. Speaking of the way that people react um on the internet, whether someone's complaining uh about the game or or, or whatever it is you know people different cultures react to different behaviors, sure, and sure. one thing about um fighting games in particular is that it's it's oftentimes a clash of of eastern and western cultures,
1: yeah definitely and, and
0: there's different things that are celebrated, and this is true in starcraft as well is like we've got players like MC who he talks a lot of shit. He's really funny. Mm -hmm. Europeans and North Americans. They love him. Yeah. Koreans in this case, not so much. Okay. They think he should be more respectful. Um, Is this also an issue um, with a lot of the Japanese players or the Korean players? And I feel like the Korean players, correct me if I'm wrong. they, They strike me as a little bit more lively than some of the Japanese players, a little bit less reserved, but there's definitely a difference here. Do you feel like that pans out over the, Uh, The internet as a whole How people perceive these guys Where in some cases This guy might be looking Respectful um, And honorable In one culture In another culture He's being looked at as timid Or being pushed around Uh, On the converse side You've got a guy Who's loud He's making jokes He might be looked at As a great character Someone I want to root for He's funny And on the other uh, End of that People would look at that And think this guy's an asshole He's got no
1: respect Exactly Yeah so uh I that's actually um, good that you mentioned that because I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, this uh, StarCraft player uh, named Larva, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, the most well-versed in StarCraft, but uh, I, I did a little bit of research. And, um, you know, this, this is basically a Korean player uh, who was at a tournament. It was like a tournament in the West, if I, if I yeah, I was I was hosting
0: it. It, it was Zotec Cup in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was it was in the States, right? I, I think
0: I know what you're talking about. Is this where he put his foot yeah. on the mouse? So this was against um this is in Starcraft One, Larva, big streamer out here in Korea on Africa T V, good Zerg player. Uh against Legend, who is a old school Chinese Protoss player. Mm-hmm. Um now keep in mind Zotec is uh can, can you look up who, who owns Zotec? I it's a Chinese company.
1: I just can't remember Yeah, I think they, they made my graphics card. Yeah. <laughs> I know that. They've,
0: they've got great equipment, by the way. That's not a sponsor, but <laughs> um, they, 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 they had this invitational, and of course they invited uh, Legend down there because he's a well-known Chinese player. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is all done in L.A. again, but uh, Larva, as he was beating Legend, put his foot on the mouse. Yeah. Um, this turned out to be one of the top ten most viewed clips on, on Twitch.
1: Yeah, that's how I found out about it cuz yeah. uh, it was just it was blown out it was blown up.
0: Oh, it's headquartered in Hong Kong. Okay. Okay. Huh? Oh, Macau. Okay. Macau. Okay. To be more Oh, it's based in Macau. Okay. Um anyways, uh obviously heavily Chinese influence there. Um but yeah, he put his foot on the mouse and on the western side everybody thought this was hilarious. People okay. thought this was really funny. Yeah, yeah. and what a character! And by the way, it wasn't it like he he micro-ed mutas with his foot or something incredible. I mean, he just put his foot on the mouse, and while the guy was the guy was already dead.
1: Yeah, he was showboating, right? He was showboating, right?
0: Yeah. Um, meanwhile, the Chinese internet blew the fuck up. <laughs> um, so yeah, just to to phrase the story. So yeah, please go ahead.
1: Yeah. So basically, you know, um, you know, I I I kind of saw that, and like it was kind of I was a little bit confused because. It's like you know you have these like uh, Korean players that are often seen as like really reserved, right? Like you were just mentioning, and then he finally does something that's like kind of like you know shows that other side, and then he's getting blown up, right? But I guess it's blown up from a different side. I guess you can't really please everyone, you know, all the time, right? It's that that old adage, right? So, um, so I I saw that incident, and uh, you know, I you know I don't know. No, I don't know too much about like StarCraft culture and and stuff like that, but that ma- immediately made me think about um the FGC, right? So in the FGC, you see like this kind of like showboating and showing off and you see taunting as well, right? Right. It's like really common and you see it all the time and uh and uh, I I even made a video about it, right? So one of the one of the big things in Street Fighter 5 was uh was Knuckledew. He's this uh really good um at the time he was playing Guile and uh and Mika and uh, he, he's a really good player that uh for some reason uh, at at a certain point he just started taunting like his opponents like in like high stakes matches and like you know uh, grand finals or you know top 8 and uh was
0: it was this by uh, verbally taunting was he doing a dance? Oh, okay. or so was it, was it something his character was doing?
1: Yeah, so in the game, uh, you can there are multiple ways to taunt. There's a taunt function. So in Street Fighter Five, you press all six buttons at the same time. Your character can do like a little taunt animation, right? And for um, a little moment, you can't control your stick while they're doing the animation, right? And uh, uh, but there's another way of taunting, and uh, he kind of popularized this taunting in uh, in Street Fighter. Uh, you if you played any first-person shooters, Halo maybe you probably know about teabagging, right? Right. So, um, so you know, generally people before can when they can you
0: explain what teabagging is though?
1: Just so teabagging basically else. is uh like in a first-person shooter, if you like kill somebody, you can go over their you know corpse and just mash crouch, just keep on pressing crouch, which will make your character kind of look like they're repeatedly sitting on the your uh on the dead body right and that's like a very disrespectful it's like thing to dropping your balls on him yeah basically T-bang, yeah, yeah. T-banging, right so um so basically what uh what knuckle Dude did was um he would do that to this chinese player so here's another example of uh you know um uh, of a chinese player getting disrespected like this in the game and uh, it was Xiao hai and i know knuckle Dude really respects Xiao hai as a player he thinks he's a really good player and the reason he he said that he was doing that was because uh he knew that it would get under Xiao Hai's skin and make him like mess up and play worse and uh, apparently it was working because he would win right doing this but of course Xiao Hai would get upset you know like inside but he never went on social media he never you know uh made a big deal out of it afterwards he shook Knuckle hand you know afterwards and just you know he was salty that he lost he was Oh, obviously right he got he lost and he got teabagged in the match maybe he got a little frustrated and uh this happened like it was like i think it was just you uh it, he was doing it to other players but he would do it the most to xiao hai because it worked and then like there was a tournament where like knuckle flew to china <laughs> and he did the same to xiao <laughs> hai in china <laughs> like and it, it, beating him like and teabagging him right and it became this thing, like, uh, uh, and and so you know, of course, Xiao Hai still didn't really, you know, go on social media and and blow this up, or you know, nothing really came of it. What what did happen? Something did happen, though, at at the end of all this. Um, Xiao Hai, it's not like he liked getting disrespected like that, obviously, but he just started getting better, <laughs> and yeah. uh, he made it a point to. Defeat Knuckledo, and get his revenge. Right, and there was an event uh, uh, e League. Um, he's you know he's been getting teabagged by Knuckledoo and losing to him all these tournaments. There was a there was a, uh, a national televised event e League, a huge event, right? And uh, basically at that tournament, um, Xiao Hai got his revenge on on Knuckledew, and he teabagged him back, <laughs> and he eliminated him from the tournament. And basically, it was on his birthday, <laughs> on oh, Knuckle really? birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so after he did that, like they did, like the e league thing, they they had like a little uh, message. They recorded a message with Xiao Hai, a post match message, and uh, I think it was it was uh, like uh, it was when Knuckle do had to go home because he got eliminated, right? And basically, like uh, it was it was a clip of uh, Xiao Hai, basically. Suddenly, he speaks English now. Oh, yeah. Basically saying like, you know, oh, hi, Knuckle Doo, Are you home now? (laughs) (laughs) Saying it from the tournament, you know, because he eliminated him. And everyone's like, wow, this guy planned his revenge and he got it on his birthday. He he teabagged him back in the tournament and he learned English just so he can trash talk afterwards. Like he never really spoke English before that. So it's like, whoa! This, this is this is crazy. This is like the ultimate revenge, right? And of course, the FGC, they you know, just just—they're loving this, you know. Like this. Is oh like yeah. this, you know, revenge thing coming. So, um, so that's kind of kind of it, one example of a similar thing that happened in the FGC. I mean, there's bitter rivalries, there's bitter things and and stuff like that. But it's uh, it's definitely not. I don't know. It's I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I don't know. What, what do you? How well, do you l- feel about that? The Larva
0: one was weird. Um, first of all, Larva, I absolutely love the guy. He's really charming. Um, there's a couple. Taboos about using your feet and as a sign of of, of severe disrespect in some Asian cultures.
1: Sure, sure. I, um, I, you know, I'm sure there's a there's a whole load of baggage. You yeah, know. Uh, and also, I don't know really much about. Like, there's also that.
0: some. Uh, I think at that time there was something geopolitically going on with China and Korea. Yeah, on top of everything as well. Right? <laughs> um, there have been. I think there have been. I think there have been some complaints of, of tourism here, Chinese tourism. Oh yeah. At the yeah. time there was. Uh, I think there was a ban on cosmetic products in China coming from Korea. So yeah. things were already kind of tense. Larva was viewing this as it's an American tournament. Yeah. Um, this is an American audience. I'm gonna play it up to Americans. And Larva's already known for kind of being a shit talker. Okay. Um and then you had the fact that I think uh the Chinese players, legend being a considerably like old school player, it was like, Why are you beating up on a grandpa? Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm okay. saying? Where Larva's like a a young, modern player. Okay. Um so, I think he probably viewed it as sort of this is in good jest, but then having a Chinese company, or, or at least a, a company with chock full of yeah, Chinese yeah. staff reading just Chinese internet, panicking that they put this tournament on. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you can have, depending on what language you, you speak, you can see a completely different reaction to the internet. Oh, to, yeah. To something.
1: <laughs> I'm sure. Um,
0: and so there was all this panic there. I remember talking to them and saying, it's fine. It yeah. Doesn't matter, you know what I mean. <laughs> this was all in in, yeah. in jest, um, but yeah, it it, it kind of blew up. Um, but look, I thought it was good TV. Yeah. I really had a good time, and he was trying to have a, a good time. And I think, yeah, I think occasionally it's it's almost comical when you see how much people can overreact to something they weren't really part of. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, something's some just these rivalries on the that happened and you don't realize these guys go to the same bar after the tournament and drink together. Yeah. And sometimes take the same shuttle to the airport. Meanwhile, you have all these people typing up a storm on Reddit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on there. I didn't know like, you know, the, I did not know where the tension was and stuff like that. The, the, but just from my perspective, from someone who just, you know, uh, follows fighting game stuff closely, it's just kind of made me think of, think of that. Right. It's, uh, there's a lot of trash talking in, in fighting games. Obviously, uh, there's, um, and then like, uh, and yeah, sometimes it can be kind of uh, kind of rough, and uh, it's. But there's definitely a culture for it. Like people are kind of, you know, they. What happens in the FGC a lot is you'll see like a beef forming, and uh, and it's, and the thing is, it's valuable. These beefs are valuable, most valuable if they're about the game and skill, right? Right. And uh, you don't want. You know, you don't necessarily want, uh, you know, the, the rivalries where like somebody like, you know, um, like dated the, the wrong girl or whatever, you know. Like, oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's not as interesting. Like, the, what the FGC likes is whenever somebody's you know, talks shit about somebody's skill level, you know, that's when, that's when people get excited. And what ends up happening is these grudge matches form. And in the early days of Dragon Ball FighterZ, uh, it was um, Goichi and Sonic Fox had this big rivalry thing going. And, uh, it was, uh, I think Goichi basically, you know, said that, you know, um, he said something in Japanese, um, I don't know if, maybe it was in English, but he he basically said some, something like, I'm going to go and kill you or something. And, and, uh, Sonic Fox responded with like, you know, uh, he, he responded in Japanese. Um, uh, I don't know if how well he said it, but it was like, you know, like you're, you're already dead or something like that. So they they had this rivalry <laughs> thing going. And it was so hyped up because it's like, okay, these are the best American player and best Japanese player. And they're going to do a first to 10 exhibition uh, at the next tournament. And, you know, stuff like that is like, and, and, you know, leading up to it, you know, they're they're saying more and more stuff. And it just kind of builds up to this kind of big thing. The The current uh, grudge match that's going to happen in the FGC that's kind of big profile is uh, between um, Rip, a commentator for Tekken. And he also does Street Fighter. Um, and he's, uh, uh, he's he's an EVO champion in Tekken, like a long time ago. And uh, and Ryan Hart, um, uh, at, at Ryan Hart was at ESGN, the thing. I was, love him. yeah uh, He's great. He's yeah, hilarious. He's, I he's love an, the guy. He's an amazing fighting game player. He's a amazing. Uh, he, you know, he plays multiple. He's good at so many games. And basically, they were both commentating at uh, the Tekken World Tour Finals 2018, right? They were in Amsterdam. They were commentating and at the commentator's table, uh, I, think, uh, I think Ryan Hart kind of like, uh, you know, made some comment about, uh, about um, Rip's play, you know? And basically it escalated, like Rip responded and it got to the point where they're both like arguing about each other's uh, accomplishments and it got pretty nasty. They are like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, like Ryan Hart was talking about his Evo trophy you know that he got one year for tekken and the rip was like oh you mean the evo where uh where uh uh he hit the uh the pause button there was like a evo where there was like a scandal where uh, one of the players like hit the start button and then they just ruled that the win and they started discrediting each other's like accomplishments yeah, yeah. and stuff it got to this, it got to this kind of like it was like playful banter at first but it was playful serious
0: When when is that match happening
1: um it's gonna uh happen I, it's going to happen this month, I believe. I forget uh, the name of the tournament. Um, it's between Rip and uh, Ryan Hart. Yeah, it starts with a D. I might have to look it up on. Uh, we got Melty on it. Uh Oh, right, Ryan Hart. So Rip and Ryan Hart, yeah. Uh, H- I think it's H A R T, but H A R T, but. Yeah, so. Oh. Ryan um, Hart. Uh,
0: I think those kind of rivalries are always cool. I was, I, I was wondering though, like in in general, do you feel like um, players from um, the East feel more forced to conform behaviorally to the West at some of these tournaments, or when you have players from the West that end up in in Japan, do they feel like they uh, there's more pressure for them to behave in more of a, a, a reserved manner?
1: So yeah, I mean, I think. Um... I think generally the players kind of want to do things their way wherever they're at, right? Yeah. Because that's kind of the way, kind of the one way of uh, expressing yourself. So, like, it's not like one player will go to a different tournament and act different, you know? I think that was kind of the case with Larva, right? He was, I think in an interview he was like, I, you know, I felt like, you know, I was in the U.S. and, like, this kind of, you know, Americans kind of like that kind of stuff. I'm a big fan of Conor McGregor and, you know, all yeah, this yeah. stuff, right? But, uh, yeah, just in the FGC, um, it is true you'll have people, uh, like, you know, like the just, the Western players will... Uh, do certain things that um, the the Japanese and the Korean players won't right and but that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen you know uh, there's definitely they, they express it in different ways so um the way people pop off and stuff like that so it's there's there's definitely like a cultural difference but um but yeah that all that teabagging stuff like that's something i i I'd say kind of the Americans uh, <laughs> kind of popularized during that time it got to the point where Punk was doing it. He was just teabagging everyone to grand finals and winning everything. He was like, you know, on top of the world during that time. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, I made a video about it because of that. There was just all this, and I was thinking like, man, this is kind of a weird thing going on. Like people are disrespecting each other so hard, you know, these days. And, and uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, um, it's interesting to hear people saying like, oh, I do it because uh, it's, uh, it gets me hype. It gets me confident. And also, uh, it can damage my opponent mentally. If it works for a second, then it was worth it. Worth it.
0: it looks so, like, uh, is it coming up right now? It looks like Melty found it. Is that the correct date? Uh, yes, yeah, so the 13th and 14th
1: of uh, April. Yeah, it's coming up very, very soon. Uh, Shit, I
0: don't know if this podcast is going to be. Oh, no, wait. This podcast this will come out. The, yeah, I'm looking at my calendar now. Oh, no. That's, that's, sorry, that would be this weekend. Never mind. We'll be long past this. But you can go check that out, the VOD, later on.
1: Yeah, so... People at uh, home. So, yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, Rip versus Reinhardt. And, uh, yeah, this... Is, so this kind of stuff happens in the FGC a lot. Uh, a lot of these beefs and... And basically, um, because you can kind of... Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty convenient to... You know, doing a first to 10 is like a good way to show who's the better player. And, uh, you know, these players are always meeting each other at these events. So it's like you can't... If you're ducking, it's so obvious, right? Because people are right. just traveling all the time, meeting each other anyways... So um, so, a lot of these kind of uh, uh, grudge matches and stuff happen. Sometimes money matches, thousand dollar money matches. They escalate up to ten thousand dollars. Sometimes it gets really crazy, and you know everyone gets excited. And and uh, you know it's it's just been a part of the FGC for a long time, and still happens today.
0: I, I wanted to um, ask you about Riot Gaming. Oh, the um, um, and the, the possibility. Nothing's confirmed yet, but of them making a fighting game right now riot is sitting on one game league of legends now that game is still doing well yeah it is still one of the biggest things that there is in the world yeah um but of course no publisher wants to have all their eggs in one basket now i would imagine they're probably making a couple games i don't know for sure i don't really know um i'm not close to anybody really at riot i know a couple people but not um on on a very close level but there has been rumors about them going into fighting games.
1: Yeah, so can we um, talk about that, please? So yeah, this is definitely something that I'm really interested in and I'm really excited about because uh um I don't know if the story behind it was uh you know the uh, the Evo founders, they uh you know, they made a company uh, called Radiant where they um where they made a fighting game. Called uh, Rising Thunder, and it was kind of uh, it was very Street Fighter style gameplay, but they put a lot of like innovative like accessibility features. So, for example, like um, you know, like uh, uh, like the motion inputs for like Shoryukens and Hadoukens. Like uh, instead of having motion inputs, they just make a special move button where you just press that button and you get the move. But then the way they balanced that was they had a cooldown co- uh, cool down timer. Just like you would find in, in, in you know, in League of Legends, in League of Legends, when right? When you use
0: your uh, your skill shot or whatever it is, your Q, yeah, that has to then reset
1: exactly. So you can't just spam that special move all the time. So instead of making the execution barrier um, like a lever motion, it was uh, it, the barrier was the uh, the cooldown time, and there are a few you know other like um, kind of uh, uh, things that they added in there to kind of uh, open up accessibility. But it was also like, it was a pretty deep game because it had like, uh, you know, it had like all these combo extending options and um, there was, you know, the characters were really interesting and there's like a loadout system where you could uh, kind of choose uh, what kind of uh, moves your character would have before the match started. There's some really cool stuff in there. I really like that game and I talked about it a lot uh, in my videos and I think people kind of know me for liking, uh, for having really liked that game. And then, you know, they got bought out by Riot. And so after that happened, um, th- it just was silent for a long time, and uh, I went. I was at Evo one time. Uh, I forgot which year it was, but I, I was at a panel with uh, Tom Cannon. <laughs> Tom Cannon was talking about the history of Evo, and I was just, uh, uh just there to kind of just, uh, you know, hear the story. And then when it came to the Q and A session, I was like, oh, cool, I can ask a question. I was like, okay, you know, uh, I went up and I was like, is there Anything that you can say about this new Riot fighting game? And uh, he basically said no. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. He's like, anything else? I'm like, ah, uh, no. That's what I wanted to know. And so, uh, yeah, they're really super secret about it, right? Um, they did do one thing that was kind of interesting. They released a community version of Rising Thunder. They kind of deleted that game from the internet after they got bought out. But um, they kind of released like a community version where they just gave whatever they had left of the game and let the community kind of make patches and stuff for it. So I
0: mean, I would have to imagine with Riot, how many League characters are there? There's a lot. There's a lot of League characters. Is there like 150 or something like that?
1: There's a ton, There's man. a
0: ton. Um, I would have to imagine that they would repurpose all the characters into popular League characters. Yeah, so... And just have a, a kind of another ver 143 thank you yeah so, so
1: there there's some there's some rumors and some speculation that you know that they would use uh, the league of legends characters to uh, make a fighting game which would be you know uh, people would be familiar with the characters they already have a ton right and uh, they can you know in a fighting game you can see the characters like very detailed big on the screen so that's really good for league of legends too right that's people fans of league of legends would i'm sure they'd be interested to see their their um your favorite champions just doing badass stuff on the screen you know very detailed and high good good quality graphics and stuff like that right it's
0: also interesting because from a a market perspective i don't think valve and blizzard are making fighting games which is generally where riot is has been competing yeah you know um mobas are were are actually originally mods from StarCraft and warcraft 3 yeah um and, of course, there's always been some rivalry. You have Valve with Dota 2. You have Blizzard with StarCraft, all their RTS franchises, and Heroes of the Storm. And then you have Riot with League. But meanwhile, uh, on a more Japanese front, you have Nintendo with their Smash franchises, whether that be Melee um, or whatever is going to be the new newest, uh, newest iteration of Smash Brothers yeah. or, or Capcom um, or Bandi Namco yeah, yeah. with... Yeah. Um, they own the Tekken franchise, right? I'm yeah, Bandai Namco. Yeah, yeah, so. they own the. Yeah, yeah. Um, they own some other stuff too, right? They own the Dark Souls franchises and yeah, man and, and, M- and a bunch M- of
1: stuff. Yeah, Bandai Namco's responsible for Dragon Ball Fighters as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah.
0: So um, it would almost seem, assuming that Riot does do that, that they would be moving, navigating into um, a very unique position. Yeah. Where the one thing it seems to me that Japanese fighters maybe with Tekken 7 being the exception to this mm-hmm. is they've a lot of times had lackluster online play or their games come out and they're not quite online play ready okay um, yeah. where it would seem like Riot would have the infrastructure to have this ready to go yeah, yeah. right the, upon launch
1: I think uh, Riot definitely if, if there's any company that knows how to uh you know make an online game you know it's it's right right they definitely have the resources and uh and so, you know, I'm pretty excited about all that. But then there's also, like, I've been talking to some friends about this, um, uh, about what we think the game might be. And really, there's so little information that um, you can really just speculate. But it doesn't, you know, we realize it, it, won't nece- it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, a Street Fighter-style uh, fighting game, you know. It could be, like, a Smash-style game, for example.
0: That's, okay, you beat me to my next question. Yeah, Is right? that Smash is, is kind of this weird... I guess it's what you call two point five D, but it's it, it's it's on platforms. Yeah, so you the, know, the big thing there's that nothing makes nothing quite like that.
1: Yeah, what makes Smash different from all the other <laughs> fighters is uh, Smash doesn't have walls; it's just death. Right? There's yeah. no walls. The edges are death.
0: It's just weird thing too. You're trying to knock a character out of the orbit, exactly. of the screen. Yeah, versus yeah. trying to just knock them off a cliff or trying to deplete their health bar.
1: Yeah, exactly. So um, that's kind of what the idea of a platform fighter is, right? So, uh, you know, um, and it's one of the reasons why the FGC and, and Smash are kind of different scenes, right? Because their games, obviously, Smash doesn't come from an arcade background, so there's, like, a difference in culture there. But if you look at the game, you know, Smash is uh, one, of the, one of the things that, like, uh, you, know, um, you know, some people in the FGC... Will say to be mean to Smash is that you guys aren't a real fighting game, right? How dare they? So, uh, so that's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, something, you know, you know, people on Reddit will pair it and stuff like that, right? So, um, uh, I think the real reason is that they're, they do come from different cultures. So they're just kind of like, you know, they're, it's just, you have like uh, arcade culture and then you have like, uh, couch culture, console couch culture, right? Right. So, um, I think it's getting better these days because um, the the you know the the leaders in the FGC they're you know you know accepting Smash and and stuff like that trying to make peace you know in this uh, <laughs> holy war right bring all the tribes together yeah bring all the tribes together right because you know there's there's so many commonalities really with the FGC and Smash but you know they still have like their differences like they don't you know Smash calls it. Friendlies and uh, the FGC call it the casuals whenever you play a match that's not serious, right? Yeah. So, and the little things like that, they have like all these differences. And so, um, but you know, like generally, like if, when you meet in person, when you meet Smash people in per- person, FGC people, they're usually really nice to each other and they respect each other's games. And, you know, don't believe social media, you know. Yeah. Actually, believe-
0: I, I, if I could chime in too, because there are so many, the, the internet can appear so toxic, but yeah, when I go to tournaments for any game. Yeah. Um, and being in Seoul, I I go to a lot of different gaming things, but everybody's really nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Everybody's so nice and supportive. Um, it's a nice feeling, isn't it? Yeah. It's, 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 (laughs) it's it's very nice to have that. But I think, I think especially if you're just somebody, I feel like the people that are really into drama, uh, in in competitive gaming are the same people that like, probably really like reality TV and get into it a little yeah, bit too much. Yeah, yeah. Think, think... Even in reality TV, it's like, you know those people lived together for six weeks. It couldn't have been that <laughs> bad. You know, they were all paid and they yeah. edited this together however they wanted to. That's why it's so cheap to make, but yeah. it's, it's not as bad as maybe you
1: want it to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, this funny yeah. is there. There was a reality show for Street Fighter Five. Oh yeah, yeah. You remember that? The yeah. E-League oh my god, thing? I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And before that, there was <laughs> WCG Ultimate Gamer.
1: Oh, okay. I don't know. Uh, what, what is what Jeff in Control Robinson? Did you know about
0: this Melty? You guys didn't know about this shit, right? You, would you know Incontrol?
1: Uh, yeah, the, the commentator? Yeah, commentator, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: former, uh, formerly on EG. Yeah. Yeah,
1: he was on that. Okay. He was on oh. a reality TV show. Oh, okay. How
0: crazy is that? Yeah, they had that. Um, <laughs> that was some weird thing where they actually got the so rights. Yeah, there it is. WCG Ultimate Gamer. And they had these two hosts. I don't know who these people are. So did, did like... It, did, was, like, it was off. It was just, it was hot garbage. It, <laughs> it was just, like, every game. This is one of these weird shows where they... Uh, I think Jeff lost because he had to do some kind of an obstacle course. Okay, all right. Which didn't, it just had nothing to do with gaming. Yeah, A lot yeah. of the games they picked out were weird. Justin Wong was on that. Justin Wong was on wait, that? Wait, wait, can we check?
1: No. I, no, I swear. No, no. Okay. Se-
0: season one. Season one. Watch, I'm going to be wrong. I'm like, Santa Claus was there. <laughs> uh, am I wrong? There's uh, Jeff Robinson. Hold on, hold on, hold seeing on. seeing a... Oh, my God. Did I make this up? A Justin... Wait a minute. Did I? I can check number two. Yeah, wait. Check. See, wait. What if he was never on there?
1: Then uh, we edit this, this out. I mean, it's <laughs> by Justin Wong.
0: Check that. I, I swear there, were, there was some big fighting. Hey, there's Rachel Correa. Oh, there's Justin Wong. Yeah, You're there right. is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. I didn't make this up. Whoa. Yeah. And when you watch the show, all the, all the other players are like, well, we're a little bit worried about Justin Wong. It's like, no shit. He's actually legit. Wow. It, Jeff in control Robinson, not going to be able to utilize his. StarCraft or Warhammer skills okay. on that show. Okay. Wow. And he didn't win either, which is how you know that show didn't make any sense. Who who won season 1? Cat. Cat. Wait. Cat won season 2. Some shooting
1: mystic, some shooting game person. Okay. What was this uh was this about was the contest about like a certain game or was it just like all the just, games it together? It was just
0: some dumb reality TV show. Oh, okay. It was some it was a bunch of com- it was a bunch of people that probably actually hate games got together and decided they were going to try <laughs> to make money. Okay. What happened? All right. Um, yeah, there was a bunch of people that, that went on that. Um. Anyways, what are we talking about? Yeah. Oh yeah, people are people are
1: actually quite nice and supportive. Yeah, in person. In person yeah, definitely. Events. Like so. Um, yeah, it was kind of a tangential thing, but yeah, like you know, in the community, that's it's. it's uh, I really stand by this idea that <laughs> I really think like the internet, the stuff you see on the internet about people is it gives you such a bad idea of what that person is actually like yeah in, in person most people i've met like even people that i thought was like oh, i don't know if i could ever be friends with that person or or be cool yeah. with that person like when i met them in real life they're like the coolest people ever that happens so often that yeah. now i'm actually like i'm actively whenever when, even if someone makes me mad on twitter or something like i'm like i just think that person could be really cool in person. Like I, yeah. I don't know right now. Even in though another life, you could
0: have sat at the same lunch table in school. Yeah, yeah, talked exactly. About your favorite games.
1: Yeah, right. So like I, like I, I'm a big. Uh, I've now become a big believer of just never believing, never just don't hate somebody on the internet. Like unless a bit, you know, like unless there's like a big thing that comes out about somebody where it's like, you know, like this person's a murderer and yeah. murdered like ten thousand people, like. Okay, he got away
0: with it for this long while going to yeah, esports like events. You can you
1: can you can like you know, hate on that person. And I know there are people who get like, you know, there's some scandals where they, they've done some heinous things that come out and stuff like that. But generally, like if, if somebody on the internet's like, I think this character's top tier and you're like boiling with hatred, like it's that's like the worst way to think of it, right? Yeah. Think of that person just because of some opinion or something, or I, I don't like this game or, you know, whatever.
0: So what what's the deal with um FGC being anti in quotes esports. <laughs> okay, because this uh, is from from an outside perspective. Let me let me let me just let me just lay my case down here real quick. Here. Yes, please, please. Because um, in my view, now I grew up with StarCraft, um, watching that on TV. I would consider both StarCraft One and StarCraft Two to be pretty laid back. Okay, it's not too. I mean, if you watch GSL nobody's telling me what to do. Okay. Our toast and me have complete creative control. We made some jokes. I don't think we ever go too far. Yeah. Well, we even encourage trash talk. Yeah. Uh, WCS. when We get them on the stage. Which, hey, if you want to say something, feel free to say it. I mean, don't, you know, say something that we would. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> don't say something things. horrible and, 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 right, and right. racist and offensive, but you know, we encourage the trash talk. Um, we want, but we also, we want the players to make money. We want them to be supported. Uh, we want them to be stars, and yeah. that's always sort of been my view on esports. Now, I've definitely seen, and I think Riot, I think maybe to a fault, has had a little bit too much of a uh, sterilized show at times with LCS and LCK. And by the way, I love all the broadcasters there. Nothing against the game, but I would I put them more on the conservative end of the spectrum. Sure, sure. Um, I would put FGC on the opposite end of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, But as a StarCraft guy, I feel like I get to have the best of both worlds. Yeah. Blizzard's been really laid back with kind of how this stuff's presented. But when I talk to FGC people, there's almost an eyeball roll when you say esports. And what I'm getting at is that when I think esports, I just think tournaments where you can make money and get sponsored and and live your dream. Yeah, yeah. So when I hear that, I'm confused. Can can you explain to me or maybe other people like me where someone from the FGC is coming from? Who seems to be almost allergic to that word esports.
1: Yeah, so basically, you know, um, you know, Street Fighter and and these games, they were competitive for a very, very long time, obviously, right? So right. um, you know, before before StarCraft uh you know came out and it's just this really old. I think game. it's the oldest competitive game of the Yeah, I'm it's one mistaken. of the oldest competitive games that's still played today in like a big in big tournaments and yeah. stuff like that. So I can't think of anything that's around. It's Street yeah. Fighter
0: Two is older than Tetris,
1: right? Uh, yeah, I I, 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 don't know that you'd have to look that up, but All I, right. I, I, don't. But
0: we'll, we'll check that. I'm just out of curiosity. We're gonna look. Yeah. That up.
1: Um. But anyways, like, uh, it's I don't know. It's one of the the oldest like uh uh you know competitive, especially head to head competitive games, right? So, um, so there's uh, there are definitely like cultural differences between um you know the FGC and what's being called esports, right? and uh it's if you look at like i've seen i've seen a lot of like uh you know starcraft highlight reels and i've seen you you know you commentate with artosis and you guys definitely like you know when i see you guys like having fun and stuff that doesn't you know that's not the image that i have of the sterile esports you know or anything like that at all you know i so i know i totally know what you mean you know you guys are totally not like you know just uh you know just trying to be boring to be as safe as possible or anything like yeah, that yeah
0: we're not we're not casting to a bunch of pta moms yeah, yeah you know are exactly. just a bunch of people that are anti-fun hold on one second we got the numbers here so uh street fighter one release date 1987 tetris release date okay 1984 the year of
1: tasteless yeah uh tetris when you were born yeah
0: yeah, yeah. that was a good, good book good year um yeah. so wait street fighter one was when it's 1987,
1: but Street Fighter One was never played to the competitive level. That uh,
0: so yeah, I feel like it started with Street Fighter.
1: 2. Yeah, Street Fighter Two was when it was like it the, the game was like a big turbo. sensation, right? Yeah, so. oh, yeah I was right about 19. I was right about 1991. Nice, well okay. done. Good, good. So yeah, anyway, so this whole esports thing is is because uh, I think there's a lot of um, uh, you know when you have like new sponsors and you have when you're trying to make uh, a game a franchise into an esport... Obviously, you're gonna have to make some changes, right? And uh, you're gonna have to change. You know, you can't, you know, say certain things or or act a certain way. And the um the degree of how much restrictions they're gonna put on you, like I don't know personally. I'm not like a you know I'm not a commentator or anything. I'm just a YouTuber. I can say whatever, right? And yeah, you have a lot of freedom. Yeah, I mean, I same can just, same
0: with us here in this podcast. Yeah.
1: yeah, like I'm not worried about like. I mean, obviously, I I can ruin my own channels, but you know, it's, right? Uh, it'll be my own. You know, if you want
0: to become a flat earther channel, you can. Yeah, if I yeah, you know? I can
1: turn into flat earther channel and yeah. like, and you know, whatever, right? But it's um so you know I can't say because I haven't been you know in the industry, but from what I've been seeing, like it's not like uh you know it's it's not like um the I'm seeing these completely different people that are commentating. Um, but uh if you look at like cpt events like street fighter 5 events and you look at the commentators you know they're uh you know they're they're acting you know pretty similar to uh you know how i've seen them for a long time right maybe like uh uh you know like some of some of like the some of like the, the excitement uh, the way they get excited maybe a little bit different here and there right but um i think james chen posted a clip of some older like street fighter 4 video where like they're like, yeah, like you know, this is, you know, I probably would have done that differently or whatever. But it was like, it was like sometimes when the commentators, uh, just kind of like, kind of like lose it and they kind of forget where, where they are, like kind of moments and stuff like that. So, um, I don't know if that's, uh, if that's, you know, I don't know if that's an imposed thing or if they're kind of like just worried about that or if, I don't know what's. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is what are they worried is going to be taken
0: away? Now I've. Look, I've done a lot of different shows, so I definitely know when someone's come down um, and said something like, hey, we're really thinking about doing this or this, and I'm thinking, oh, fuck, this is going to ruin the show. Okay. You know, or this is, you don't get it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even when we did the ESGN stuff. Yeah. Um, There was times where, uh, and I was doing that with Mike Ross and Gutex, but I, there was times where, you know, we would go to the hotel bar and have some wine and look at each other and think we, we're not happy with, you know, some of the ideas that were going around. Right. Yeah. It, it, and it can be a scary thing, I think, especially when you're a presenter and you have somebody telling you to do this or that. And you're thinking, OK, I'm sort of the face here. I'm I'm the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the channel that, that this show is being spoken through. And it can be definitely uncomfortable when someone's saying try this or that. Yeah. I've even had shows where people have tried to write jokes for me. Whoa! <laughs> I've yeah. This will be for another podcast. But, okay. Um, and I'm but- like, I'm like, dude, you do that's you know, and it's it's stuff for. I'm thinking, I wouldn't even say that, and then I'm getting stressed out because of some fucking dumb joke. Yeah. And and I, I you know, so I can imagine that fear, but I guess beyond people kind of trying to, because there's always going to be some some push and pull here with any show. When anytime you have a bunch of people trying to come together to, to make one thing. Yeah, yeah. This is always going to be something that happens, but. And I know I'm putting you in a weird spot because you don't speak for all of FGC, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: All I can all I can say is like, you know, some of the concerns that people have had, yeah, uh, and and they're real. And uh, I think a lot of it, yeah, people are, you know, scared of what potentially could happen. So if you look at the uh, uh, if you look at the um, the reality show that thing that happened, you know, that was another big milestone for the FGC in terms of like what esports, how esports can. Uh, what was the name of that new... uh,
0: reality show again?
1: Uh I forget. It was
0: The 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 one that was an FGC reality show. Melty's gonna look that up for us.
1: Yeah. I it's uh it was on E League. Or it was like uh it was an E League production, um, which they do stuff for like, you know, other games and stuff and they're definitely like they're turner broadcasting, so it's like real, you know, big time esports stuff, right? So I guess the I guess one of the things was um about that people were afraid of was uh, you know, this you know, so if you look at that E. League reality show, it was kind of like the people that they you know got on the show. Like, uh, so one of the big examples, one of the big, it was like a this, you know, it became it blew up in the news, and I think that's probably why they got this guy. Is uh, there's a guy named the uh, Low Tier God? And oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's uh, you probably maybe you saw the video where like uh, he had that grudge uh, match the, with the, 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 the greatest videos of all time. Yeah, one yeah. of the, uh, the yeah, one of the the. The best it's like uh, his block versus moments. the guy's rose, and, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. uh, and, and there was the a lot of trash talk and stuff. The guy says it, it was
0: even even the the appearance of this big, yeah, badass looking black dude and this white guy with his shirt tucked in, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then the yeah, and then uh, low tier god loses and
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, what so, was the other guy's name? Uh, he's Viscont. A, he's Viscont, a, yeah. he's he an says, Evo like, champion in in Marvel. He's a uh, he's an amazing yeah. player, super smart guy. Like he he writes really good stuff. Like it's, yeah, definitely like. Uh, very highly respected player yeah, uh, yeah. in the f g c but low tier guy's kind of more of a i guess he's you know he likes to uh you know he likes to trash talk yeah uh, which i think is great yeah and uh he's definitely like he's got this entertainment factor right because yeah sometimes he you know he'll cross the line and uh you know he'll ride the line a lot and uh definitely like it's um you know and it's become kind of controversial for that right in in the f g c but then like uh he's he's also a player and he you know he's a he's a good player but he's definitely not like uh, you know one of the best players by the way it's e league the fighter. challenger
0: street fighter 5
1: yeah e league the challenger okay so it's okay. called the challenger yeah On so TBS. um so basically uh, it was um, uh, like like some people in the community were like oh, okay this is what esports has become now um, so they're they're doing this reality show where they're trying to pick uh, you know, somebody to go on to the the actual competition, the invitational, and uh, you know they invited low tier God. He's not like you know the he's not like a top level player. There are yeah, other players. He's not a
0: champion. Maybe this is they're picking personality. Yeah, they're over. picking personality yeah. and
1: um you know and like so it was kind of controversial and like it's things like that right. So these these kind of things scare some uh, people in the FGC because it's it's now like it's it's about you know. You know, to FGC, FGC is about like the competition and, and you know, and uh, you know, skill and you know, uh, you know about the game, right? I suppose and, there's also
0: always something alarming about reality TV in general, yeah. Because reality TV just isn't actually reality TV reality TV at all. I mean, exactly. you can edit this together
1: basically however you want. Yeah, um, yeah, you can, and so you know, like, um, you know, it's it's reality TV. That's kind of like the definition of like. TV entertainment, you know, like it's the McDonald's uh, of, of entertainment. Yeah, like it's like the, it's like very mainstream TV entertainment, right? So I don't know. I mean, I don't think that that is just, that's going to spell the end of the FGC, but definitely you can see why some people, uh, you know, had these kind of concerns. Basically, what, what kind of goes on with the FGC, what what kind of, what I kind of want to see happen is like this kind of esports stuff and the grassroots stuff kind of coexisting peacefully, if possible. But, but when
0: you're saying, but so you would consider that, um, Reality TV show to be like an esports thing because I look at that as some kind of weird abomination of (laughs) just just taking a game gaming and a a thing like that and saying okay now we're gonna put a bunch of people in a room and kind of
1: yeah theme that around the the thing was uh, so along with who so I think one of the players from the Invitational um uh, or one of the players from the reality show would take the the I think the 30 30 second spot on uh, the program correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I believe that that reality show uh, was related to the full tournament and uh, th- of the actual invitational tournament, right? So I-, I mean, there are really good players on there, like you know Commander Jesse and, and JB. Those are like really good American players, and they're they're, they're top players for sure in Street Fighter Five. But yeah, like this having you know um, having low tier God on there was definitely like uh, okay, now this is an example of where you know they they got this guy for entertainment. You know, and uh, clearly for entertainment because it would be controversial and like you know, and it worked. The FGC went into this frenzy, and everyone knew about this reality show and everything. It was like a very big promotional thing. So um, there's the idea of that, and then like the thing about one big area of contention uh, for the whole you know FGC versus esports thing is definitely the idea of invitationals, right? So that kind of goes against the idea of a um, open bracket tournament, right? And that's where like some of there's the like, there's
0: no meritocracy there. It's just yeah, you didn't you didn't earn your way in there. So
1: it's you know like the gatekeeper is kind of different, right? So now there's kind of if you have an invitational with thirty two people, right, and one of the one of the players like you know bad mouths the the wrong person or whatever or or says something uh, about the game or says something bad, then they can just be like you're not invited to the invitational, right? And they they would be in the right to do that. They can do that It's their to invitational tournament, out. right? And uh, we're talking about big life-changing prize pools at these tournaments, you know. We're talking like the, I think E-League usually had like a $150,000 for the first place winner. Um, second place was a was a cool 40,000. Uh I mean, these are, these this is real prize money that the FUC like rarely ever gets to see. And so it's it's life-changing stuff, right? So it's a, it's a big deal. And so um, you know, this—if you look at the the grassroots uh, method for these kind of tournaments, it's obviously the open bracket tournament where you have 2,000 people all participating in this one thing, and it's a very community thing, right? And uh, there are some people who feel that that is kind of anti-community to have these kind of, uh, you know, um, these these leagues where they just it's just invitationals, and you just have to, uh, you know, maybe they're picking people because of looks. You know, maybe they're picking people because they say, say the, the most correct things, you know. Um, and uh, you don't really know exactly what's going on. It's
0: like they're trying to cast a TV show based off of personalities and not. That's the fear, right? Yeah. Now,
1: Now, granted, if you look at the, the E-League tournament, um, it was run really well. Uh, I mean, you know, I you know, people in the FGC really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, there, was, there were a couple of hiccups there here and there where they kind of, uh, you know, doing were doing like anti-FGC things or not quite FGC way things. Um, but, you know, they they kind of made efforts to, like, you know, cater it more towards the FGC crowd and stuff like that. So it's not like this, you know, this it, this thing was just, like, all terrible and, like, the eSports is ruining everything. It wasn't quite like that. But definitely there's uh, there are these concerns. And uh, the players on there were – they're the best players for the game. Like, they're all so good, you know. Like, there's nobody on uh, – uh, you know these things where they're like just t- completely bad bl- bad players, right? But then again, there's like were they necessarily the the very best players that they could have had? It's like well, you can tell like you know they they're probably conscious of like having more representation from you know certain countries maybe or other things might have gone into the the uh, uh, how they pick these players, right? And uh, but people really aren't sure you know who gets picked exactly, right? So. That's one of the things of concern, whereas, like, the idea of Evo is kind of like, you know, you have a guy from Compton that no one's ever heard of, but he's just really good at the game. Walks into Evo, first Evo ever. Dark horse. And uh, just kills everybody, including the legends and the the top names. Gets first place and becomes uh, a top player. You know, I'm basically right now I'm describing uh, Snake Eyes, you know, yeah. from Street Fighter Four. He's one of the best American players during the Street Fighter Four days. He's he's playing five, but he's not finding as much success in five. But definitely like that's kind of like the the, the fighting game spirit that people don't want lost. And then like on on the internet there was uh you know, there's kind of like this uh you know big argument with like uh, some esports guys and the F U C guys about this whole stuff and uh and they just got into this it just became pretty nasty, right? And uh, I don't know where it's at right now. I don't know. Um, uh, I think it, it's just people are just kind of, they're still doing their tournaments and everything. And I think there's still like invitationals and stuff. But I think that's the biggest area. You know, forget about like commentary or, you know, erase that part from the podcast. Like that's actually that's actually nothing compared to like, I think this is like the more, th- this is the thing that has the, the biggest effect on people, right? So I, I'm not here to say like, this is like, you it, know, I, I can't say it, if this it, is if ruining you stuff. If you
0: don't mind if we just keep it in. I mean, I think I think everything you're saying is really interesting. Okay, yeah, if it's interesting, yeah. keep it in. But, like, I'm, I mean, there's, like, there's like little things. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to hold you to, like, yeah. uh, hold your feet to the fire on this one because this is a big question. I mean, one of the things that I noticed when you're bringing that up is I'm thinking there aren't actually in, in StarCraft, there's not very many invitationals. So, okay. like, this thing that you're pointing out is something that I haven't really... Experienced within the games that I do, or I don't. I don't know if this happens as much in in league or let's say Dota or Counter Strike. Yeah. So, because I see the the concerns as well when you point that out, um, you would never have a Snake Eyes, um, who might at the time be the best player. Let's say that could have gone on e League. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're already going to grandfather other players in, but exactly. um, that almost seems like it's more of a problem with cable TV and not having the infrastructure to run qualifiers all over the place and filter in the right people yeah, and instead so, trying I mean, to do a catch all and safely put out some kind of product and see if they can r- rinse and repeat
1: yeah so i mean I, I there's definitely like uh you know uh you know it, these invitationals and leagues they do things differently right how do they find new talent they all have kind of different methods of of doing so right it's just uh it's just that the the original people that have been doing this forever are the, um, are the uh, uh, you know, the ter- tournament organizers that have been, you know, when they started taking a loss in doing these tournaments, right? Sure. And so um, they've been doing this forever, and they finally got to a certain point. And, of course, uh, you know, nobody wants this, uh, you know, these, like, huge media juggernauts to come in and, and like, you know, just you know take away the players and i don't think that's going to happen but i mean there's definitely a fear of like you know like uh if you think about it like you know i i think it can coexist just fine or whatever but like if it, if there was like a weekend right where there's like this big invitational thing and then there's like a big uh uh you know tournament for uh, a grassroots tournament right um you know like you might not get all those players uh for your and it, you can't blame the players cuz it's like okay this you have your chance to win more prize money uh than you've had in your whole like 20 year career of playing fighting games in this one tournament like you can't really blame the players um so it's like you know it just kind of it's just like this new entity that comes in and uh and you know I don't know I'm not in this you know I'm not a player <laughs> uh so I'm you know I I mean I'm a player like I'll play in uh you know, open bracket tournaments and stuff to, you know, just because it's, it's fun, exciting and stuff, but I'm not like a a player that would get into one of these invitationals. Right. Um, I'm not a commentator. Uh, that's another thing. Like, uh, you know, uh, these invitationals, like, uh, they have to choose a certain amount of commentators and stuff like that. So it affects those guys, um, way more. And I'm not a sponsor, you know, sponsors get affected by this too. If you're a sponsored player, makes it to e-league or some nationally televised thing that's a huge huge deal right i mean that's you know nothing better to brag to your sponsors than like oh yeah our guys are on tv now you know yeah so um for all those groups like it's definitely um you know it's uh it affects them in a different way whereas like uh you know if you're like the the guy who makes you know Hundred and eightieth place at Evo, and you are super proud of it, and you know you got to play some top players. Like you, that's not going to affect you as much, right? You are not, or you are not going to, you are not going to get invited to the invitationals, obviously, right? But um, but then, if invitationals were to replace open bracket tournaments completely, then all those people who like were friends with the players, and like you know who 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 worked really hard with their spare time, but they weren't able to, you know, get to the top levels, like you know those people won't be able to have these tournaments anymore and then if you lose that then you lose like a very big core pillar of the the FGC and i think people are afraid of losing something like that not that i don't think that's going to happen um but i think there is a fear that that when you lose that aspect then it's like okay we just lost one of the the best aspects of the FGC like you know Xavier Woods played knee at Evo you know was, he was so excited it's on his channel like i uh there's a there's a clip of him like playing and like you know those kind of moments where you have like you know because you know like in StarCraft it's you know the games are longer and stuff so you can't have like a thousand man open bracket tournament right it'd be like
0: I mean you could have pretty big qualifiers you just can't cover it all at once. in one weekend right what they do is <laughs> they is they try to yeah I mean there's all these online Mel do you do online Cassie stuff I mean they, it, it's a lot of it, more of it's done on the internet okay and then you kind of filter in to finally okay we Everybody, we're going to Stockholm.
1: All right, all right. All
0: the guys that that made it, guys and girls that made it, we'll see you guys there. But yeah, did you have something you want to add in, Melty? Uh, like, Melty's explaining how they do their invitationals. Okay. But it's it's it is. There used to be big in in dream hacks and stuff, big open bracket yeah, tournaments. That yeah. Well, that was that's hard because people are bringing their computers and then getting yeah. that all yeah, on the network. I, I don't I don't know the the nitty gritty details about that. Um. But I I see what you're saying, and I think it comes from a a place of love, for sure.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of a hard situation because, like, you know, these are the people that you've known and and played in tournaments and stuff. And, you know, if they, you know, it's this whole idea of, like, you know, if they go off to Hollywood and you might never see them again, and, you know, maybe they'll... They'll change, you know, like it's the <laughs> classic uh, you thing. Changed, man. Yeah, like it's the classic, like you know, what if your friend uh, makes it, in, makes it in Hollywood or something, you know, like yeah. are you're gonna see them again. Are they gonna hang out in your circles? Are they gonna hang out with like Bradley Cooper and stuff like that? You know, like so it's kind of a, there's I think there's kind of that primal fear of of uh, of coming. I, I, I actually I made a like video a, about it. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I think it's like a fear of an interloper coming in and then changing everything and what you had and what was built up before. Exactly um, isn't yeah. really there before, and there's some kind of an identity crisis because of that.
1: Yeah, and like you know, p- people experience this all the time in like a in in the more um, you know personal matters. Like you know, everyone's had like uh, one of their friends, close friends, get like a new girlfriend, and then just you know disappear, or you know. Uh just a girlfriend or boyfriend whatever right. just they just friend comes
0: back from college and he's totally different yeah, or, yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah it's uh you know people find new groups and and definitely this is something that like uh so in my video about community actually uh this was so interesting to me because fgc was going through this and so i read book a book about it um because uh there's this kind of interesting book that i actually uh uh based one of my videos off of and uh You know it it talks about all these patterns and stuff with communities and what happens and and alcoholics anonymous is kind of an interesting case right because it's a a similar thing happened uh with alcoholics anonymous originally you know the you know why is it anonymous right um so uh i did a little bit of research on that my one of my friends is uh, uh uh was was a part of alcoholics anonymous but um what ended up happening was when people in alcoholics anonymous uh before it was anonymous they were they they got recognized in the community and they were like they were like stand up models and like they were like um you know uh these these people that everyone looked up to they would uh then people would start using that fame that they got from that community to advertise for like commercial purposes and even politically some people would say like oh yeah i'm part of this you know alcoholics club and i'm a, i'm a recovered you know alcoholic from this community right and they would score political points, right, when they're running for office and stuff like that. Or some people might use it for, you know, like their business purposes to advertise, you know, this, is, this business is run by this, you know, person who, who survived, you know, alcohol or whatever. And uh, the people who, who ran Alcoholics, the, this, this group, started realizing that it became like kind of started getting commercialized. There were like stars and stuff like that that were appearing. And I think a big thing was this baseball player was a part of this, right? And at first they were like, this is awesome, man. Everyone's gonna know about our like alcoholics group. Like, uh, and uh, it's gonna be a good thing for us, Um, uh, you know. But then like uh, what ended up happening was, um, I think it was a baseball player. um, And this was around the time when baseball was starting to get televised and like the media came up and you're broadcasting this to a lot of people. And um, I believe this this started causing, uh, it started causing issues with like, if you're like a famous person now, (laughs) you know, you're no longer, like, serving that community directly anymore because now you're just, like, in the media and you're a star. You're
0: probably not going to meetings. Yeah,
1: you're not going to meetings and anymore. You
0: drinking coffee and...
1: And, like, uh, helping Friday each night. other, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's now, kind of the whole point of the community, right?
0: Now you're just advertising that, that you're, I guess, rehabilitated in a way. Yeah,
1: exactly. And then, like, it's not... Which, I mean, it,
0: it, in a sense is, it, okay, that's great. You, you overcame this vice, but then... I don't know if you can leverage that group the same way. Yeah, so uh, at least, uh, I think is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, so what ends up happening is people in the community start competing to get recognition, and they start like you know, um, it's not about helping each other anymore. It's about who can be you know Hollywood, you know who can who can make it to to be uh, the well, most. And
0: I think in that case as well, it's trying to signal purity.
1: Yeah, yeah. In, so, in some way, yeah. So uh, the anonymous aspect was one of the reasons was <laughs> because uh, there was like a commercial motive, you know, and uh, if you look at like a lot of uh, communities that um do split there's a lot of it is because there's like a you know there's like a you know i guess i don't want to say sponsors per se but just people with money like uh that can influence things right and yeah um you know i'm not i'm not gonna say this is like bad or good uh you have to look at the situation right but um definitely it's uh it's 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 one thing that can uh, you know, change, uh, change the way the communities operate and stuff like that. And so, you know, sometimes uh, some communities can, you know, are okay with it, but other times it's just like it's kind of a bummer, right? And this is what causes fractures in communities, and they split up, and that's life, right? With with how uh, that's how communities work. So, um, so yeah, uh, it, it, we're kind of seeing this a little bit, but I don't know, like, what the future is going to be per se with the with the fighting in community, but just for me, I just I just want to play these games, go to these tournaments, um, and uh, you know make videos about them, and and it, these games and stuff like really interest me, and you know I want to teach people how to play these games and stuff, right?
0: <laughs> I think this is a great note to end it on, man. Dude, thank you so much yep. for being part of the podcast, man. I love your videos. Um, definitely check out Gerald's videos. Do you do you have a now that we've talked about how shit social media is? Do you want to plug your Twitter? Uh, yeah. Anywhere else people can find you?
1: So. Um, you can find me on twitter at uh at uh, core gaming c-o-r-e-a gaming one word and uh you can find my youtube channel by typing that in google as well so patreon I, uh, I do have a patreon um but uh you know if you just uh, watch my videos and you'll have a patreon link and uh you can go there if you want or not uh but uh yeah i'd rather you watch the video first before doing anything with patreon so <laughs>
0: Dude, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, and thank you, viewers, for listening. That's a wrap. That does it for episode three, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I got to say, every podcast I do, I'm having more fun than the one before. I really feel like I'm getting the hang of this. And thank you, everybody, who's been supporting uh, us over here at the Tastes Podcast on Patreon. Um, we're going to be having... Are we going to announce the next guest? Is it a, is it a secret still?
1: Um, It's going to be a secret still by the time this gets published you
0: don't get to know who the next guest is Uh, I'll be announcing that on on Twitter soon but again special thanks to to Gerald definitely uh, send him some love subscribe to his YouTube channel Um, and thank you for joining us we'll be back in two weeks we love you bye bye this episode was produced by Melvin artwork by Haller Reese, music by Mark Lance hosted by Jason.